Roll call, please. Councilmember Duran? Here. Councilmember McReynolds? Here. Councilmember Johnson? Here. Councilmember Halter? Here. Councilmember Campos? Deputy Mayor Dr. Sanchez Palacios is absent. Mayor Schrader? Here. Six members present. We do have a quorum. Mr. McReynolds, would you like to lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance? We have a special presentation tonight. Uh, as many of you may have heard, our former mayor and council member Sandy Smith passed away last week. Um, Sandy spent five years on the Ventura Planning Commission and was eventually elected as a member of the Ventura City Council in 1997, where he set a modern day record for the highest percentage of votes cast for a candidate. He went on to serve as mayor from December of 1999 until December of 2001 and remained on city council until 2005. In addition to his work in local government, he spent five years as a high school teacher for the Ventura Unified School District at Pacific High School within a youth at risk program for students in the ninth and 10th grade. His list of community volunteer efforts are impressive and include Chair of the Ventura County Economic Development Association, board member of the Economic Development Collaborative, board member of HOME, and member of the Annual Housing Conference Committee, president and board chair of the California International Theater Festival, a member of the Executive Committee of the Ventura County Civic Alliance, and a member of the committee that crafts and publishes their respected State of the Region report, member of the Advisory Committee for the Habitat for Humanity, member of the Regional Advisory Committee for the Ventura County Comprehensive Transportation Plan, vice chair of the Ventura County Workforce Development Board, and chair of the Ventura Chamber of Commerce Board of Directors. Now, therefore, I, Joe Schrader, mayor of city of San Buenaventura, on behalf of the city council and employees of the city of San Buenaventura, express our extreme gratitude and appreciation for the lifetime of service and dedication to the people of San Buenaventura. I do hereby proclaim Monday, July 24th, 2023 as Sandy Smith, a celebration of life day. I'd like to invite up Sandy's wife, Joanne uh, Roby to accept the proclamation and share a few remarks. Uh, thank you very much. I listened to that list that is so very long, and I, I have to let you know every single one of those 
things that he did were so important to him, and he was very, so very proud of every single one of those committees. I tried to keep him straight as he talked about them at home, and I couldn't, but uh, he really it was all very, very, very important to him. So thank you so much, all of you. Closed session report, Mr. Heglin. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, we did have a closed session tonight on the items listed on the agenda, and there was no reportable action. I also want to report out on a closed session meeting held on July 11th, 2023. At that, um, during that date, the City Council held a special closed session to interview, interview potential city manager candidates and discuss the next steps. The City Council selected a City Manager candidate on a 5-2 vote. Councilmember Halter and Campos voted no to continue forward with negotiations and background checks with that candidate. Uh, when that process is completed, an agreement will be brought back for City Council consideration at an open meeting. That completes the report. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mayor. First, I'd like to... Uh, invite community members to join the Ventura Police Department for a Tippecop fundraiser benefiting Special Olympics athletes right here in Ventura County. The event will be hosted at Finney's Craft House located in downtown Ventura tomorrow, July 25th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. I'd also like to uh, let uh, residents know that the preliminary recommendations for the Ventura Active Transportation Plan are live for public review and input through August 20th. So we'd like to invite people to join in in the discussions about the plan. The city is hosting five open house events on Friday, July 28th through Sunday, July 30th. To view the times, dates, and locations of these events, visit the city's website. Um, we're still working uh, and seeking input on the general plan process. As a reminder, now through August 2nd, the community can share feedback related to the proposed land use map. You can do this through a high-level feedback form, which provides general feedback on the overall vision for different areas of Ventura, or you could uh, also uh, complete the detailed feed feedback form, which provides more detailed input on land uses at the parcel level. It takes about 10 minutes to complete this. Visit planventura.com to learn more. Uh, some exciting news this week, the uh, Ventura residents should receive a copy of the city's newest activity guide featuring fall classes, camps, and programs. 
The guide is also available online now. And as a reminder, registration opens at noon on Tuesday, August 1st. And finally, uh, just as a reminder, the next regular meeting of the City Council is August 7th. And that concludes my remarks, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. We'll go to City Council communications. And I'm going to start out with, uh, we just went through the X Games. And there was a lot of chatter for the last three weeks, maybe last two months, about how there were going to be problems with traffic, or there were going to be problems with uh, police activity, with parking and all that. I talked to Marlis Oster, who's the president of Visit Ventura. We didn't have traffic problems. It was really managed well. Thank you, Ventura Police Department and the Fire Department. I attended two of the days. I know um, most of the city council was there one or two days. It was a tremendous success. So much so that I had relatives in from Iowa, and they had four children ages six to about 14, and they wanted to know if I could get the X Games into Iowa um, <laughs> because they thought that that was really cool. So um, it was a great success, and I think it was Ventura at its best. And I think the best story I heard, Marlis told me today that somebody came in to visit Ventura um, on California Street. Was that around California and said, oh, look, I need to apologize because I was one of the naysayers and I was the one who said it was there, that there were going to be traffic problems and we don't need this in our city. And she said there really weren't any problems and I'm really proud of our city that we made that happen. So congratulations to the city staff and to Visit Ventura for just doing a fantastic job. Now, Councilmember Campos. a garage to house bicycles so that people could ride to the event instead of being in traffic. And that was well advertised. And by 4 p.m. on Friday, they were full. They had to close the gate and people had to lock their bikes around. And by 1 p.m. on Saturday, they were full. And that's a testament to the community stepping up and resolving traffic issues by themselves. And I also want to thank, I think we need to acknowledge the work that Assistant City Manager Brad Connor did to pull all of the public transportation together for the X Games. And whoever put on the drone light shows taught us that we can have wonderful 4th of July celebrations and fireworks in the air without the sound of, well, we all know that. So um, that's what I'd like to say tonight. Thank you. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. While Mr. McDonald pulls up my slide, I also want to extend my thanks and congratulations to everybody on, on an amazing X Games weekend. Um, you know, I, in addition to all the people that have been thanked, um, I, I, I want to point out as well some people that, uh, laid the groundwork when they were with the city, and that would be Estelle Busa from Economic Development, and then City Council member, then Mayor Matt Levere. They were instrumental in, in getting the conversation open, and I will say I was pessimistic that we would ever see it come through, 
Um, but what a fantastic experience it was. Uh, I, I have a feeling that, that people are going to want to see drone shows. Um, I will tell you, you know, uh, I, as I recall, it was Spencer Norn that, that was trying to arrange a drone show instead of fireworks, and drones are very expensive on the 4th of July, but we have so many other things happening in the city where it might be nice to, to bring back the, the drone show. Okay, so thank you. So I have some upcoming events that I'd like to share with the public. Tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow, that's Tuesday, the 25th at 5 p.m., I will be at the dog park at Camino Real. I will probably have a dog. I can't guarantee it. <laughs> the plan is to take her to the park. Uh, she's enjoying the park. If you've got a dog, that would be a fun way to, to meet a council member. Then the next day, Wednesday, 7:26, July 26, is a, it's a busy day. At 6 p.m., the San Buenaventura Conservancy is putting together, is having a program on the Washington School Historic Preservation Possibilities. And it'll be held at Grace Cooper, Grace Church Cooper Hall, right there in Midtown. That's at 65 McMillan Avenue. That's uh, where the Midtown Community Council meets, for those of us who know it that way. And the website for more information is sbconservancy.org. And so I'll be there. Then at 7 p.m., the College Area Community Council is meeting. That's a virtual meeting. The agenda and Zoom link are available at caccventura.com. I am on the agenda, so I will be speaking. On Monday the 31st at 8 p.m., this would be a week from tonight, we do not have a council meeting scheduled. Uh, this is an opportunity if you'd like to, to sit down and talk to a council member, some of your neighbors, some of your community members from the comfort of your own home. We'll just do it on Zoom, and it looks like my spell thing put spaces in my URL. It's all one word, mikeforventura.com. And then, of course, every month I do a second Saturday cleanup, this being August coming up, and we have a vacation. I will be out of town, so there will be no second Saturday cleanup in August, but there will be a fourth Saturday cleanup. That is August 26, from 10 a.m. to noon. We'll meet at the IHOP on Victoria. Can we get the next slide, please? And for my colleagues and for everybody else in the community, some updates on external assignments. I'm proud to announce that uh, Gold Coast Transit, we have reached a tentative agreement with our supervisors. I believe it was 17 supervisors that we have at Gold Coast, represented by Teamsters Local 186. And they are back to work. And we will have a special board meeting on Wednesday, uh, hopefully to, to ratify everything. And I wanted to let my colleagues know that uh, I mentioned before that I'm the vice chair of the Regional Defense Partnership. And so I've been working with others. The plan for RDP is to really step up our outreach throughout the county. And of course, it turns out that that responsibility falls on the shoulders of the vice chair. So I'll be working on something to present to VCOG. And I hope at some point to go to other cities in the county and at some point if the City of Ventura would like a presentation on RDP. Uh, I would certainly be happy to do that. We have a lot of people living in the city of Ventura that work for the military. And RDP proved invaluable when we were going through the base realignment and closures process about uh, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And at some point, we're going to go through another one of those Brock rounds, they call it. 
and it would obviously be an economic catastrophe if, if we were to see bases close in the county. So it is critical. Uh, I just wanted to share those updates with my colleagues. Thank you for the opportunity, Mayor. Councilmember Halter. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Just a couple quick points. One is to reiterate uh, what my other colleagues have said is that I was very, very, very proud of our community over this weekend. I had uh, gotten calls from family members up in San Francisco as well as Ohio who saw Ventura on ESPN. And uh, it was just really neat to be able to show off our city and uh, why so many of us choose to live here. Along those same lines, I wanted to mention that from years ago, probably 25, 30 years ago, when we started the Downtown Community Council, uh, Sandy Smith became one of my favorite people immediately, and he would be sorely missed, but I will always smile when I think of him because he embodied everything in an individual that I love about Ventura. And just his passion, his love, his sensitivity and generosity and in intellect and willingness to participate to make a better future for all of us. So um, he will be missed, but I will smile when I think of him and what he's contributed to all of us. Along with that, I'm involved on a lot of different committees on behalf of the city, and I enjoy those immensely, uh, especially the regional ones like Beacon, which is uh, beach erosion management. And as you know, we have um, almost a $17 million grant to start uh, phase two of the managed retreat at Seaside Park, so I'm anxious to see that get underway. Uh, also, the Ventura Regional Sanitation District, it's very complex. Trash is a very, very complex issue. And it's been very interesting, and as uh, with my engineering background, it's been very fascinating to see um, how we're slicing and dicing and trying to do the right thing for our environment and also reduce trash and make sure that um, uh, we have a sustainable community. So those are two of my favorites that I enjoy attending on behalf of our community. Um, oh, I want to mention also that um, the 28th season of the music festival, Ventura Music Festival, kicks off tomorrow night and goes for two, two weeks. So 28 years of providing world-class music uh, to all of us in Ventura. So I look forward to seeing a lot of you at those events. Uh, there's several different concerts, I think seven in all, over the next two weeks. So I look forward to that. Thank you very much. Mr. McReynolds. Uh, so just uh, really quick, um, one of my uh, assignments is the uh, liaison to the chamber. Uh, so I attended my first board meeting uh, with the chamber last week, uh, kind of gave an update on passing the budget, uh, Ventura Water Pure, labor agreements, everything like that that we've been working on for the last six months. Uh, one of the things that I'd like uh, Mr. McDonald to consider is they meet at a brewery. I, I, don't, if we, I don't know if that's in our ability, but I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I wasn't able to attend the East Ventura Community Council meeting on Thursday night as we were doing the X Games introduction downtown, uh, but I, I did uh, communicate with them, and I wanted to give a big thanks to uh, Ms. Uh, Rollins, who uh, <clears throat> did a, the uh, housing update uh, on it. And then uh, tomorrow, no, I'm sorry, Wednesday, I'll be attending the, uh, I've been appointed to a SCAG uh, technical committee, uh, so I'll be attending a green print uh, committee in downtown LA on Wednesday. So that's it. Mr. Duran. Thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to say thank you to Kirby Subaru of Ventura. They uh, hosted a blood drive on July 19th and just wanted to give a shout out to them because they, they truly care about our community. Kirby has um, donated many things to our food pantry and different items that, uh, that 
those that come and get food and need resources. They've been a great support. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. Also want to let you know that we do have our hopes committee meeting tomorrow at uh, three o'clock here uh, at City Hall. And then on Saturday, Tender Life Maternity Home is having their annual um, fundraising walk. And that'll be at uh, 8.30 on Saturday morning at the River Community Church. And also that day, another exciting day in District 6 is having a brand new business move to District 6, which um, is um, Coastal Spa and Warehouse. And they're right on Victoria Avenue. The ribbon cutting's at 9.30. And I would just encourage anybody that lives in District 6 and actually in our city to go say thank you to a new business that moved. Uh, they, they were down by the golf course and they moved in that location, which is fantastic. We also have a Ventura Social Service Task Force meeting on August the 2nd, which is a Wednesday. Um, that's on Zoom. If anybody is interested in getting updates on what's going on with our um, those that are homeless and uh, the different programs that are out there, or those of you that might want to get involved in something like that, uh, that is a great meeting to go to. And lastly, on August 4th, one of my favorite uh, gatherings is the Ventura Chamber of Commerce Connection Breakfast at 8 o'clock at the Four Point Sheraton. It's a great place to network, get involved with other businesses. Um, you know, as you know, our economics, uh, the development here in Ventura is, our, our economic development is based on small businesses, and it's pretty awesome. Um, so support that and uh, network. So thank you, Mr. Mayor. Any other comments? On to consent items. Any items that need to be pulled or items with questions or comments? Yes. Ms. I would like to pull item two for us to discuss separately from the consent. Okay, thank you. Item two. Uh, Mr. Johnson. Thank you. I'd like to pull item number five. Item number five. Mr. Duran. On item number four, just comments. And questions on item number three. And questions on item number three. Anything else? Okay, we'll pull item two, item five, and so we'll go with questions on number three first. Ms. Compost, was that you on minutes, I believe? Yes. Um, there was some question during the, during the meeting. The question is for clarity, because it wasn't clear during the meeting, and therefore the minutes were confusing about how much the city is spending on this item. Um, this, the scope of services doesn't match the total amount. Is the city spending $220,000 or $184,500 or $260,000 or $264,500? And I'm not sure if there's, if there's clarity in the minutes, so I would hope that they can come back. I couldn't figure it out in the video. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Councilmember Campos. Could you please clarify which meeting minutes you're referring to? In the oh, item? I'm sorry. It's the minutes for June 12th, mm -hmm. 2023, and it's agenda item 10. 
the amounts were confusing in, in the minutes for me. Okay, we'd, we'd be happy to go and take a look at uh, what's posted for the minutes intent. I don't recall posting dollar amounts. Um, if there's confusion on the recommendation listed on the agenda, that's the posted agenda, but happy to go back and, and take a look at what's posted. Thank you. So on this, would we exclude this from uh, any motions to approve those minutes? Uh, Mr. Mayor, if we wanted to proceed with the approval of the minutes, uh, we could do so, making that notation of any changes that need to be made to the adopted minutes. Okay, Ms. Campos, good with that? Yes, that's good. Thank you. Any other questions on number three? Comments on number four, please. Yeah, I just wanted to say um, w one of the concerns in District 6 is, um, well, Montalvo Community Council has done quite a bit of work uh, in regards to um, District 6, the Johnson Corridor. And I, I just wanted to let, be on the record, to let staff know that I would be forwarding all the work that they did. All the, um, they actually did a resident uh, poll and, that had valuable information. So I just, I'm gonna pass that on. And I wanted uh, staff to know that that would be coming their way. Because one of the biggest concerns in, in District 6 is the traffic obviously johnson drive uh on ramp off ramp and so i have some great news i wanted to share on that uh thank you to mr nelson and mr mr uh herford for um they sent a letter out to caltrans that we all agreed on that we needed to get that information so i just wanted to give an update it says um this is from miss fong over she's the chief office of project management a caltrans District 6 says our Office of Mobility Programs have been conducting an operational investigation at this intersection. The investigation includes a field review and an intersection analysis. If traffic counts are not readily available, they will be collected counts as well. If the investigation finds operational deficiencies, uh, we will propose mitigation measures. This type of investigation normally takes six to eight weeks to complete, so I'm expecting the response by early August, we also requested that a safety analysis be performed concurrently. So I just wanna let you know, thank you to staff. The ball is moving on Johnson and Caltrans is at work right now. So thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Um, let's pull item two. Or would you rather have a motion on all items except for two and five? Mayor, if I may, we, we need to know what public speakers we have on the items as, uh, we, as we make these decisions. Do we have public speakers? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Three public speaker cards submitted for item number two. All right, let's start there, please. Okay. So we will be taking item number two first then. Our first speaker, excuse me, is Natalie Bruton. And Natalie will be followed by Sherry Egbert. Ooh, somebody was quite tall. <sighs> Good evening, Mayor, City Council members, and staff. My name is Natalie Bruton, and I'm here today to request, as fortunately it has been done now, that this be pulled and for more conversation. This increase in a cannabis license requires additional review and discussion. You ask why? 
Well, after reading the rationale for the resolution, I have to tell you this reeks, and yes, pun intended, that reeks of a quid pro quo, which in turn tells me our city failed. So let's review the failures. Failure number one, changing the safety zone from 1,000 feet to 600 feet and excluding preschools, youth organizations, and places where young youth uh, gather. The resolution, if you're going to open it, let's make this adjustment back to 1,000 feet. Now, not all of you were here at that time, but some of you were, and you know your failure on that. Failure number two, that the final decision of who gets the license is decided by one person. What kingdom is this? We are in this position of a quid pro quo because, as a parting shot, the king chose the least desirable locations closest to schools and in basically one area. Update the resolution to have a committee of three, not a designee, as to make the decisions to avoid any sense of favoritism or impropriety. Failure number three, if access is what you're talking about, then we don't want a pot corridor, which is what we've all stated, then make a license that is, has to be within a district. You can have not more than one license in a district. That's a possibility. Please do not place us in this position again where we're having a quid pro quo situation. Open this resolution, resolve the failures, and update it so we're not placed here again. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is Sherry Egbert, followed by Glenn Overly. Good evening, Council. Boy, I was shocked to learn that this was on the was agenda tonight as a consent item, so I really appreciate um, Councilmember Liz Campos for pulling it and for Council agreeing. This is an item of high interest to the public, and we're supposed to be on the cannabis update list, and many of us never received any notification. So I feel like it should be for further discussion. Um, I wrote an email with a bunch of questions, don't have time to go into them, but one question I do have that clouds the issue is the coastal zone. Um, we were supposed to approve three dispensaries and then two were reserved for the coastal zone, but now this new change is actually going to be approving six dispensaries which are not in the coastal zone. So what happens to the coastal zone? Are they going to add two more for a total of eight for the size of our city, which would be like one for every 10,000 residents, which is a lot. Um, please take a look at that. Um, also, I just wanted to say that I sent you some pictures of pictures you can see of the marketing to children, so I thought I would take this opportunity. You can see like the River King, the stuffed animal head, and the Pac-Man, and you can see the ice cream cone and the cereal. And we have a big problem with this being marketed to our youth. And the studies are coming out in masses that are showing that emergency room visits are up um, because youth are getting a hold of it. And it's, you know, until we get better 
laws for packaging. This is a problem. So you guys really need you to take a really proactive approach to educate our community strongly that kids are going to be getting it, especially because the it says it's 21, but it's really 18. It takes 15, min 15 minutes to get a medical um, marijuana license. You just say, hey, I have ADD, I have anxiety, and you can get just like that as an 18-year-old. And what's to prevent an 18-year-old from going on their lunch hour and you know, then giving it to their friends because it is not a prescription, it is just a recommendation. So the quantities aren't limited. So I just ask that you proceed with caution for our youth because we're going to have car accidents or we're going to have more emergency room visits coming up. And so how are you guys going to be proactive to prevent our youth from getting addicted. We now know it's addictive cannabis use disorder, and it has to do with the really high THC. My generation was up to 5%. This generation, since it's hybrid, is now average 35% at least, and often higher. So we are getting psychosis and more schizophrenia and problems. So thank you for considering our youth in the future. And our final speaker on item number two is Glenn Overly. Good evening. This is outside my wheelhouse. I didn't anticipate talking tonight, but I saw some issues that I thought I should bring up. Uh, first of all, if you're opening this thing up, the 600 feet, as Sherry has already talked about, it is too low. I mean, can we open this back up, get the 1,000 feet, which was originally on there? And the reason why I bring this up is being in the district that I live in, having so many focused in that area seems unfair. I think dispensaries should be spread throughout the city. We should share the wealth of the dispensaries. Let them affect our entire community, not just an area. Um, I see here it says, any parcels containing elementary, middle, or high school, whether public, private, or charter. Where does homeschooling fall in this? If you have a homeschool, a couple of kids in there, is that part of this? I don't know. Uh, one other thing, our code of conduct for council members. Embark has a community activist that sits on our city council. His picture and endorsement of their website is in there. We just had this at the ARC meeting where we talked about uh, the appearance of a conflict of interest. Under Roman numeral five, subsection two, sub G, Perhaps this is something maybe our city attorney should weigh in on. I mean, we'll say it for what it is. Uh, Councilman Duran, you know, you're a spokesperson for Embark. Andy, we just went over this in ARC. Um, this thing is going to pass. I mean, we're not naive here. But what's going to be super important for everybody that's running is that the 600 feet is going to be hung around each of your necks when you go to get reelected or have your new campaign for those of you that are running. So just a thought. And had I been involved in this thing initially, my whole deal was just spread the wealth. This should have been done throughout the city. I can think of at least two other sites I would have picked without mentioning their name 
they're more out of the way, away from homes, away from schools. They made more sense. But I wasn't the city manager at the time, and unfortunately, that smoking gun has left the building. <laughs> Mr. Mayor, that concludes public comment on item number two. Um, council discussion. May I comment? On, on item two? Yes. Okay, thank you. Mr. Durant. Well, first of all, for the record, I just wanted to, to let everyone know that um, originally I was on the Embark um, Advisory Committee, and that is when you, uh, w when they donate a percentage of their money, I was on the committee to um, decide where that money would be spent, what nonprofit that money would go to. And um, when, and that was before I, I ran or chose to ran, run for council, and so when I, when I did get elected, um, I resigned from, I was on actually two committees, and I resigned from both of those committees. And so uh, me being on the website, I, I'll have to follow up with them. I don't know why I'm still on there. But I, just to, for the record, I am not on either committee. I haven't been since uh, I got elected. So thank you for bringing that to my attention so I could follow up with them. Councilmember Johnson. Thank you, Mayor. You know, um, it, it, this obviously is a complicated topic, uh, and and I certainly take the points of what people were saying. I'm going to start by saying that I'm going to move item two, but I want to talk about it. Um, Ms. Bruton said that our city failed, and I, I have to say I agree with that. I remember, you know, a month after being sworn in, we had our goal-setting meeting, and Cannabis was looming, and I said I wanted us to, our council, to have more time to look at cannabis and to work on the ordinance. And I remember this well because I suggested that I would be willing to um, slow down the general plan to make it work. It was funny because then, then a couple minutes later, then city manager Alex McIntyre said, everybody wants us to do all these things, but nobody's willing to put something off. And I said, well, I, I just said I'd be willing to put the general plan off so that we can do cannabis right. But we didn't, and it was because we had to get cannabis done quickly so that we could get the general plan done quickly. And here we are over two years later, and we're still, um, we're still dealing with it. You know, I, I remember my dad's friend was teaching me to, to hang drywall, and it was getting late in the day, and he said, just remember, we don't have enough time to hurry up. When you think about it, when you're hanging drywall, if, if you try to hurry up, you are just making yourself, you're giving yourself days more work. You got to do it right. Um, I, I appreciate the concerns that people brought up. I think it's important to note that, that what we're talking about here tonight is not changing the ordinance at all. We're not cracking the ordinance back up. We can't do that. This is the resolution on the number of dispensaries. As somebody who wanted more time to talk about cannabis, as somebody who voted against the cannabis ordinance, who opposed um, changing the, the limits around schools. Uh, it is what we have. And no, it has not been transparent because these are issues that we've had to deal with in closed session. And so with that, you know, I will say that in closed session, I supported this compromise. And, and I support it again tonight. With that, Mayor, I would move item number two. Thank you. Is there a second on that motion? 
I'll second. Okay, second. Any other discussion on item two? Mr. City Attorney, is it best to vote on these individually like this, or what's the standard? Yes, I would take um, I would take item two and number five as well. Um, those were both pulled, and then you could take one motion for the rest. Okay, thank you much. Any further discussion? Roll call or vote, please. You can go ahead and enter your vote now on item number two. All votes have been entered. Five ayes, one no, one absent, motion carries. Thank you, on to item number five, professional services agreement, second amendment. Thank you, Mayor. I don't have any questions, just some comments to explain why I will not be supporting this. Um, I, I did not support this originally. Um, I appreciate that we're making some adjustments to the contracts to prevent some of the problems that certainly affected uh, businesses throughout the city, developers, uh, and, and including some in my district. Um, but with that said, you know, here we are a year later, and, uh, you know, before I can support extending this contract, I need to feel like we are being more intentional about how we're doing these things and revisit the issue. And so with that, Mayor, I appreciate the opportunity to pull the vote so that I can vote no on this. Other comments? I'll entertain a motion on item number five in the consent agenda. And Mr. Mayor, we've received no public comment on item number five. Oh, thank you very much for saving me on that. Um, Motion on number five. I move to approve. Is there a second? I'll second. Thank you. Further discussion? Vote, please. You may go ahead and enter your vote on item number five now. Okay, all votes have been entered. Five ayes, one no, and the motion carries. I'll entertain a motion on the rest of the consent agenda, which is item, help me here, one, three, four, six, seven, eight, and nine. So moved. Mr. Mayor, if I may ask a clarifying question real quick, yes. just in regards to those minutes, I wanna be sure that we have the correct correction there. Uh, Council Member Campos, could you please refresh my memory in regards to the item number you were referring to? That was item number 10. Item number 10 on the June 12th agenda? That's correct. Item number 10 on the June 12th agenda was a consent item for a professional services agreement with Plant Warren. The minutes state approved recommendation. I just want to be sure we have the correct uh, correction there. There was $2 amounts in recommendations A and B, uh, but they, they don't reflect the dollar amounts you previously stated. Recommendation A approved uh, a professional services agreement for 220000 and recommendation B uh, secured uh, modifications to the agreement in the amount of 40000 and the minutes read approved recommendation.
Okay, I'll let that go and I can email you if I have a clarification later, but we can we can continue this in the consent. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Mr. City Clerk. I'm sorry, did I have a motion yeah, on the I, rest of them? Doug? I move to approve the rest of them, everything but items two and five, uh, up through one through nine. Second. I got a second. Any further discussion? Vote, please. Okay, you can go ahead and enter your vote now on the consent items, excluding items two and five. All votes have been entered. Six ayes and the motion carries. Thank you. On, on to item number 10, which is a public hearing item, energy services agreements for solar services. Mr. Nelson, um, as he's walking up, Mr. City Clerk, if, are all the noticing requirements, have they been met? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Yes, this item has been adequately noticed. Okay, then I will open the public hearing. And I think Mr. Nelson has a presentation for us. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, members of the council. For the record, I'm Phil Nelson, your public works director. I'm joined to my right with, uh, by Mary Joyce Ivers, who's the Deputy Public Works Director for Operations, and to my left is Julie Honor, who's our Manager of the Environmental Sustainability Group. And we'll be presenting this evening on an energy services agreement, which is a really exciting opportunity for the city to actually work on some projects that were discussed a couple of weeks ago at the uh, previous CARP discussion. Uh, talking about the need to install solar at some city facilities. And that's, in fact, what we've been working on for uh, a number of months. And I'm going to turn it over to Mary Joyce, who will pick up with the rest of the uh, presentation from there. And then we'll come back for questions at the end. Thank you. You're going to move it. We'll move it. Good evening, Mayor and Council members. We're excited to be here to show you what we have been doing with our environmental sustainability team. So next, just give you a little background of our project overview. Um, in 2005, we installed a 100 kW system at our maintenance yard. It's been working great. It has been generating about 45% of our electrical use at the yard, and it's also powering, providing solar power to a couple of our electric vehicles charging stations. So since then, we have been trying to pursue some other opportunities for solar power arrays within our city facilities and now we're excited to say that we've come really close tonight to having some three projects that we're proposing to you tonight to be considered here at City Hall in the parking lot at our community park and also at our police fire headquarters and then today is the public hearing and we have to consider if executing energy services agreements with Forefront Power who was the selected contractor and these projects um, support the proposed climate action and resilient plan as part of the city leadership 1.1 for city facility decarbonization. So next, thank you. So an energy services agreement, I'll go through what a couple of these um, requirements are. And it, all this complies with our own city procurement policies and we've reviewed that with our city financial officer. 
and the energy services agreement, it's a long-term contract between an energy company or a joint powers authority, and it provides business to supply electrical um, usage within our facilities. It helps us secure a transparent, pre-negotiated solar projects with pricing and terms that are in the best interest of the city, and it's similar to cooperative procurement that is used by other public agencies as well as ourselves with other procurement avenues that we've used. And it helps us take advantage of excellent pricing, stable, low-cost electricity into the future, and it's through a highly competitive statewide solicitation through the Joint Powers Authority. And currently there's been 38 public agencies within California that have used this JPA. And this is consistent with our California Government Code Section 4217 that authorizes a public entity such as the city to enter into the energy service contracts that, on terms that your governing body determines are in the best interest of the public agency to implement the state's conservation and alternative energy supply source policy. It's required through the public hearing and through resolution, if you agree, that the findings of the anticipated cost are expected to be less than the anticipated cost of energy that we would be paying for and consuming in the future. Part of the solar power purchase agreement, it's a financial agreement where the provider, who we're proposing through SPUR and Forefront Power, will arrange for the design, permitting, financing, and installation of these solar energy systems at the proposed facilities. Part of this will be part of the design-build contracting, which pursuant to our city char charter was modified by city council that authorizes the use of a design, build, and construction contract as defined in our municipal code 4.602.01. And it was codified by the state um, that the public works director with your approval could issue these contracts. So going through a little bit of us working with the um, SPUR and REAP and uh, Forefront Power, I know those are the acronyms that we sometimes love, but to give you a little background on the companies, SPUR is a school project or utility rate reduction that's the Joint Powers Authority in California with over 300 public agencies within their um, group that's provided this cooperative procurement programs for electricity and solar power projects. It pro it's a, this program was the Renewable Energy Aggregated Procurement Program, or REAP, and it's this innovative solar procurement process that they conducted through a competitive solicitation, and Forefront Power was selected through that, and that's who we've been proposing to work with with these energy services contracts. And locally in Ventura County, the, our, Ventura, our own Ventura County at the Government Center has used this program as well as our local Ventura Community College District as well as other agencies within California. So I'd like to turn it over to Mr. Joe Yonner to go into more details of our proposed projects. Thank you, Mayor Joyce. So the proposed projects will include a total capacity of just over 1.3 megawatts of solar generation from three project sites located at the community park, which will be a 557-kilowatt-sized uh, project, City Hall uh, in the north parking lot, a 442-kilowatt project, 
and at police fire headquarters, which will be a 344 kilowatt project. These projects will result in a 64% total energy offset of electricity use at these facilities. Additional benefits of the canopies include um, shaded parking for vehicles, as well as uh, at nighttime LED lighting that will help provide additional security at night. The agreement includes a 0% escalator, which means the electricity rates paid to forefront, or I'm sorry, paid to forefront will not increase over the entire 20-year term of the agreement. Generally, electricity costs increase um, by about 2 to 3% a year, um, rates provided by utilities. Um, and so a zero escalation contributes substantially to the overall project savings. The proposal also includes a system, um, uh, includes system operation and maintenance for the life of the project to support an annual performance guarantee of 95% annually. And of course, with solar, there are environmental benefits um, that result from producing 100% renewable energy over the 20-year term. Um, so just to give you a sense of the, uh, the scale, the renewable energy produced from the project will reduce greenhouse gas emissions, the equivalent of removing 6,400 cars from the road for one year, um, or the equivalent of reducing greenhouse gas emissions um, equal to uh, 5,600 homes uh, per year. And the projects over the course of the 20-year term will uh, provide $2.8 million in energy savings. Just to give you a sort of a description of how that energy savings will be, um, will be determined. So the, the, the chart here, the left bar indicates uh, $22 million in electricity costs that the city would pay for these three facilities uh, under a business as usual scenario. The scenario assumes a conservative electricity cost escalation of 2% annually from Southern California Edison and the Clean Power Alliance. The right bar shows the breakdown of cost and savings over the term of the agreement. Since the solar systems do not generate all of their electricity used at these facilities, the city will need to continue to pay Southern California Edison and the Clean Power Alliance, which is represented um, with the yellow area. The amount paid to forefront energy is represented by the purple section, which is just over $7.1 million over the 20-year term. The total project cost savings is represented by the gray area with the green border around it. Um, that savings over the 20-year term averages out to about $140,000 annually. So just a little more detail on the specific, each specific project. So the first project is located at the um, City Hall uh, facility and will be specifically in the northern parking lot. Um, one good thing about this project is the switchgear in the 505 um, Poli building, which is where the, uh, basically the system will be connected to the facility infrastructure. Uh, that switchgear is very old and actually we have a CIP, a capital improvement project, um, plan for uh, replacing that infrastructure at 505 Pole. And with this, um, with this project, we'll be able to actually roll that up into the cost of, um, of installing the photovoltaic systems. 
The project will offset about 55% of the electricity used at City Hall building and the 505 building. And um, one additional thing, the city has been in contact with the Ventura Botanical Gardens and they are supportive of, of the project. Next location is the Ventura Community Park. This is a 557 um, kilowatt system. And the, the solar canopies will be located on the west side of the pool facility. The area is currently unimproved, um, but it is identified as a future parking lot in the community park master plan. And the system will offset about 90% of the annual electricity use at the facility. The third, lo third location is the police fire headquarters. Um, and the system will be located in an open area. Oops, thank you, Bill. Will be located on an open area on the west side of the property. And this, this system will offset about 45% of the annual electricity use at that facility. As part of the project, in order to prevent shading of the panels, uh, there may be some eucalyptus trees that will need to be removed. Public work staff will coordinate with parks and rec staff um, to plant 1.5 trees per one tree removed in a location to be determined. Just to give you a sense of the project timeline, um, so starting at the, the far left in fall 2017, that's when um, the SPURS contract was awarded to Forefront Power. And um, about three years afterwards, uh, City staff got in contact with SPUR and started the process of, of looking into the program and determining what facilities might be suitable um, for solar. And over two years, we worked on uh, really narrowing down those facilities and um, also kind of buttoning up all of the uh, agreement language and budget concerns and budget issues. So. Um, that was a two-year process to get where we are right now in July uh, 2023. And then if council makes a decision to approve the agreements, uh, design-build efforts will start uh, at some point in fall 2023. Estimate the construction will start sometime in fall 2024. And then um, once construction starts, it has to be completed by spring of 2026. We're showing that as the completion date, but likely those projects would be completed um, before that time. And we'll finish the presentation with a summary of the recommendations for council to consider tonight. Thank you. Uh, council comments and questions. Mr. Duran. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you for your presentation. Uh, question in regards to um, this particular project on Poli. Um, so what are we going to do for staff parking uh, if that is all torn up? Excellent question, Council Member. We've been uh, discussing various options. Don't know exactly yet. We don't have to answer that right now, but we recognize there'll be some impacts to the parking. We don't know how much we can phase or exactly what the impacts would be. We'll have to find some sort of a solution. Oh, yeah, temporarily. We, okay. Mm -hmm. And um, the aquatic center or on Kimball, um, that parking lot is not paved right now, Kurt. 
right? It is correct. So are we going to pave that before we put that We're in? We're looking at that one as well. We don't have to for the project, but it, there are some obvious uh, advantages to paving first. Makes more sense, It's really right? a lot easier than coming in to do it later. Uh, it's just the cost of doing that and the timing, but that's one thing we've been... Uh, talking about as well. I, I would recommend that, obviously, then, then we're not doing double work. We agree. The, the challenge there is that uh, exactly how we fund it. It'll take money from something else. And so, but we do recognize the importance, uh, how much easier it is to, to do that work now before the arrays go in. So that's uh, something we uh, very much want to do. And then my last question is, do we have, um, will we have a battery backup for our solar? Will we be able to store anything? Yes, yeah, so right now, as the agreement is, it doesn't include storage, but um, that is something that we, we can and will consider in the future, and we can, we can tie it into this project. So at this point, the first step is to get these approved and get these moving forward, and then the storage can, um, if we so choose, can be, um, can be at a later date. Yeah, it seems like it would be beneficial to us to have that storage, right? So, yeah, that'd be great if you could look into that. Okay. Thank you. Mr. Halter. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, and thank you, staff, for your uh, thorough report. Uh, just a question. You mentioned the botanical gardens, and I'm just curious with the, the solar panels on the back parking lot. I know they they'll be tilted to the south. So uh, does that, have you kind of um, gone through the reflective impact on the botanical gardens? Does it appear that it's not going to have an impact? We don't think it will. We haven't done any specific analysis to um, truth that out. Yeah. Um, I don't know if um, forefront, if if you can talk about maybe the, the re reflectivity of the panels and if there is any concern about possible um, impacts on folks that are up in the botanical gardens. And that would be great. Thank you. Off. Mm -hmm. So Sam Zansinger is from Forefront Power, and uh, he's here tonight, and he is uh, he's the expert on much of this. <clears throat> great. Thank Good you. evening, Council. Thank you for the time and consideration for this item. Um, the nature of the photovoltaic uh, technology is one that is going to absorb the sun. It's uh, got an anti-reflective coating uh, on, on our panels. We have done preliminary glare analysis. Uh, we didn't see of anything uh, substantial. Um, we'll continue as we go through the development process to ensure uh, any glare is mitigated um, and consider that in the future. Okay, great. And I imagine since um, there's a hillside between that parking lot and the upper parking lot, that being on the north side, there could be some plant material, uh, native plant material that could be planted there that can help shield it to some extent as well. Uh, that without, since right. it's on the north side, it wouldn't shade the solar panels. So I think that's another option. That was my only concern, but I think it's a great direction. So thank you. Mr. McReynolds. Thank you very much. Uh, could you go to slide five really quick? This is a, a general The, the acronyms, uh, I like how you did it in the title, but when you like do SPUR, uh, just as a conscientious for a lot of the folks watching at home, if you guys could spell out the acronym first before using it would be really helpful. Uh, my real questions are on slide nine. Uh, so I, I don't know if you guys could see what we got as a staff report uh, for that, but it didn't show this. I mean, it is basically a black and white smudge um, on it. So in the future, if we could actually see what 
uh, is going forward would be helpful uh, there. Uh, so I, my question, though, is regarding uh, did the Parks and Rec Commission get the weigh in on this at all? Yeah, we, we spoke with Parks and Rec. We've been talking with them about this project for well over a year. They're supportive of it. The, um, you know, they, they know that eventually that area is intended for parking and obviously having canopies over there is a, you know, great for, for parking over there and all the benefits of that. They're supportive of reducing the energy use at that facility and um, yeah, actually this particular project at the community park is the one that uh, generates the most cost savings. So uh, it's really a benefit to them and I think they wanna have a facility that they can say that the vast majority of the power generated um, is from solar. So I think it's a great message and um, they're supportive of it. So let me reiterate my question. So I, I appreciate everything you said, but did the oh. Parks and Rec Commission? I got you. Sorry, should have stopped me earlier. Um, <laughs> so you're on a roll. <laughs> we, <laughs> we did not talk to the Parks and Rec Commission. No. No. Why is that? Well, when we met with Parks and went over the project with them, kind of leave that for them to make that determination. Okay. And then, so just to verify, this does match the community uh, park, the community park master plan. It does. That will be a parking area. That's the plan use. So this really makes a perfect location. Okay. And then uh, slide 10. <clears throat> so the, what we got in the packet in this picture do not match uh, at all. There are a lot more trees shown in the picture in the staff report from what I could make out um, on it. So my first question is where's the 1.5 ratio? Um, one of the things that I've despise about my professional job is removing trees, but I've never been hold, held to anything less than a 10 to one standard in terms of tree replacement. Council member McReynolds, um, in speaking with Parks and Recreation the, and the police department, they had a grant that removed the trees. We had some dangerous damages caused by the older eucalyptus trees and the trees were removed. And this depicts what's probably, what's mostly there now and that the plan is with this project, if any trees are removed, the average would be to replant 1.5 per one removed um, in a location to be determined. So, so let's dissect that a little bit. So we took out, I'm gonna guess, a half a dozen trees? Yes. And what, did we replace those? It's not my understanding, no, I don't think so. Okay, and then my uh, next question is how does this uh, in terms of the police and fire expansion of this facility, uh, has that been considered or is this not on the radar or? We have not discussed expansion of the facility. This is more their um, training site that they use right now as well as there's access seizure and other storage that's at that site. So we thought this was the best location. And in the future, if anything were to change, we could put into the new design relocation of the panels. And then did the police and fire chiefs sign off on this? In concept, yes. There are, we met with the police department and fire department about this project as well. I apologize, what does in concept mean? Uh, the, we're proposing these locations and these agreements tonight. So and they so were we okay will be, with? Yes, they're okay. okay with this. And as we get through the design build permitting process, we will they will be our stakeholders and we'll be including them in all the um, 
decisions and recommendations as we go forth. Okay, and then uh, the CEQA review is not required? No, it's not. Per the government code 4217, it's considered exempt. Okay, and then on all three sites, where would the future potential battery storage occur? That we would have to determine too, because battery storage does take a lot of footprint. So that's something that we could consider as we start. If these service agreements get approved, we will start those discussions and figure out how we can incorporate battery storage in these projects or elsewhere. Okay, and then just to, my last question is going back to what Councilmember Duran said. In terms of moving forward with the parking lot versus not moving. Um, I, I would be very interested in seeing a cost-benefit analysis of that decision before we make it, because it's going to be a lot more expensive to come in, in my opinion, after the fact uh, versus doing it now. I mean, if we need to reallocate resources, I understand what you said in terms of the CIP has been set and adopted, but if we're going to sp you know, spend $2 to save a dollar, I'm not quite sure that makes sense on it. So I would like to see that before we... Councilmember, I agree, and that's exactly the analysis we're doing, is we recognize that uh, I don't know what the percentage increase is, but it's not trivial is to come in later to try to pave that with uh, an array in place. I think what it's really coming down to is how would we fund that? What do we have to give up now to be able to do that? Yeah. And making sure that's... I would just... I'd, I would want to have that conversation. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Thank you. Mr. Johnson, followed by Ms. Campos. Thank you, Mayor, and thank you for, for putting this plan together. Um, certainly when we talk about, uh, uh, if I could digress a little bit, we here in California, our, our energy costs don't vary greatly from during the daytime hours. Mm -hmm. So are there other municipalities that are using batteries to try to save on the cost of energy by balancing their load, or do most, I know certainly we have generators at all our facilities for for emergency use, I think we've been in City Hall when they've kicked on. Um, are any municipalities actually using battery storage in conjunction with solar panels that you know of, locally? I might defer to Sam. Thank you. I might defer to Sam on that one. I, I'm, I'm sure there are. I don't know of any specific ones. Hey, good evening again. Um, so yes, there are municipalities that, that have energy storage for what's known as energy arbitrage. Um, we looked at energy storage at these facilities. Um, the funding for energy storage is, is currently fully allocated um, in Southern California Edison. We have an application in the waitlist for some of these facilities. Um, upon award, we can uh, revisit in earnest to, to see uh, energy storage and, and backup supply. Thank you so much. Uh, and then, oh, my last question is just a broader one. So, so we look at this, and, it, and it's going to save us money. So then the question, the obvious question, when you look at these maps is, why this level? Why not more? We did look at, at more facilities and, for various reasons, um, determined that these were by far the, the, the best locations. Um, partially based on the amount of cost saving that they generate and partially just um, logistics. Uh, one of the facilities that we looked at was, for example, the, uh, the maintenance yard. And there is already a system there that does generate about 45%. We were thinking, well, hey, maybe we can get it up to you know 90%. 
and the, the math just didn't work out uh, just due to some specific uh, issues with that location. So um, we did look at other locations. Um, you generally want to look for with power purchase agreements. You want to have larger systems, uh, just helps out the economics. And so we were looking primarily at larger city facilities, and these were the three that we came up with. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Ms. Campos. So I want to go back for a moment to Mr. McReynolds' question about trees. And I think, Ms. Iverson, you were answering that or discussing that. The problem with removing one adult tree and replacing it with 1.5 not adult trees is the amount of carbon sequestered in adult trees, older trees. And I understand seriously the problem of the eucalyptus. But if there's any way with any of this cost savings to triple the number of trees, really, Mr. McReynolds is right. Take out one, put in 10, and you'll get at least some closeness to what you've lost. But I, I would think that 1.5 is a little too small, so I would hope that along the, the path of this, we can work with Parks and Rec and get more trees, even if they're not on these sites. And um, regarding the paving while you're doing the work, um, perhaps the CIP can loan the money to the project and recover it from the, immediate, the immediacy of savings, even though I believe you said 140000 a year. I'm not sure, but around, around that. Yeah, the, the total for all the facilities together averages about 140000 per year. In savings. In savings. So, you know, pay back the CIP with that. It's a five-year program, is that correct, the CIP? That's correct. So we should be able to recover enough to continue the process. And I think no more questions. I think my colleagues asked well, so thank you. Um, I have a question. If Slide four, please. So um, this is the type of uh, solar panel we're putting in in all three locations? The specific type? Yeah, the, the stand-up that is about that high. and No, they'll, they, in, like in the parking lot locations, they'll be high enough to accommodate a vehicle underneath. Okay. That's so where the, I was the heights will vary. So, so it'll look like um, over at the county, they Correct. have the cover, so that's what we're going to put back here. Yes. Correct. Okay, and in the police fire headquarters, will that be um, covered as well so you could park there? And the community park as well? Correct. Okay, thank you very much. I, I'm, that's what I thought, and then I saw this little guy fixing it on slide four, and I got nervous. So, um, May I ask a follow-up? Please. I, I apologize for forgetting. Do these include some number of electric vehicle power chargers? while you're installing these? We haven't included EV chargers in this project. Um, generally, the, the funding comes from alternative sources for EV charging stations. But um, you know, putting these, these covered canopy systems in really creates a great opportunity to add more EV charging stations at these locations. So we definitely will look to expand EV charging at these locations 
as well as doing the solar. Thank you, Mr. Yonner. And, and I'll follow up on that. So, um, a great question. And is it are we better off putting in the the guts for that before you put in the whole EV charging station? I know when I um, built a couple branches, they had me. I had to put in some utilities and and some of that. Well, is that what we're, our attentions are, or have we thought that far out? We have thought about it. I don't know that we've actually done the analysis of figuring out, you know, does it make sense to plumb it in when we're installing the photovoltaics or um, does it make sense to install them later? Uh, there's a lot to that decision and we, we will look at that when, we're, when we understand the design a little bit better. Okay. Yep. Any other questions? Yes, Mr. Duran. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, if so, money, if money wasn't an object, uh, we would put batteries in all, we would have battery storage. If money was, that's what I'm hearing, because there wasn't money available, is that correct? Well, there, there He says yes. Right. May, may I ask you another question? Yeah. Do you mind? No. Um, what, what's the benefit? What would be our benefit if we had battery backup storage? Yeah, so um, batteries can do a lot of things. Um, it's, you know, how much are you willing to, to pay to get those values? Um, there's demand shaving, which it will discharge power when a facility is experiencing a high surge of electricity usage, where the utility kind of pings you for that high watermark. Um, so there's demand shaving. There's energy arbitrage, which is charging when the energy rates are low and discharging when energy rates are high. And then there's backup and resiliency. Um, it's very expensive and complex to do. Um, typically, uh, funding sources uh, are what help enable those projects. And as I mentioned, we, we have looked at it with staff. We're supporting those efforts. Um, it's very competitive and, and currently fully allocated. But it, it, does it, it makes sense to do that, though, right, long term? At, at some facilities, it, it can make sense, but it's really the priorities of the city. Okay. Thank you. Ms. Campos? Okay. Any other questions? Public comments, please. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have one speaker this evening, Bert Handy. Bert, you'll have three minutes. Do you have the presentation? Thank you. Honorable Mayor Schroeder, uh, Council Member Staff and Citizen Ventura. I've lived in Ventura for a pro in excess of 40 years. I have had solar on my house since 2005. The panels in my house provide about 70% of the electricity for the demand that I use yearly. One of the advantages of solar farms in the desert is the unobscured view of the sun which produces the most electricity. This project, in my opinion, is not taking advantage of the best locations to place solar panels for the best result. Additionally, being close to the coast, with the projected increase in temperature as expected in climate change projections, Ventura will, in my opinion, see more inversion layers producing fog close to the coast blocking solar panels at the City Hall and the Police Department. The sites identified for solar in this item range from one half mile to 4.8 miles from the coast. 
I believe Ventura would benefit from the uses away from the coast to produce the best power generation. Next slide. City Hall is 0.5 miles. And to look at that handout, I agree with uh, Councilmember McReynolds. It is impossible to see what you're trying to say. The staff needs to get a better picture on those. Next slide, please. The police department's 2.7 miles from the coast. Next slide, please. The community park is 4.5 miles from the coast. Next slide, please. The avenue treatment plant is 4.8 miles from the coast. And a location not evaluated Ventura Waters Avenue treatment facility, which is the 4.8 miles from the coast. From the coast, in my opinion, Ventura could also install floating solar on the open water storage at the facility in addition to solar panels at the facility to produce evapor reduce evaporation in the water, which is the benefit of producing electricity. As I have seen water solar panels at numerous operation, numerous articles I have read. I believe Ventura would benefit from using sites away from the coast to produce the best power generation by using the community park and the avenue treatment facility as these sites are the best suited locations. The City Hall and Police Department sites, in my opinion, do not have a clear view of the sun for part of the day, but are subject to inversion layers producing fog. A question for the Council. Has a solar project which was installed at the San Juan Yard produced the electricity it was projected to produce? Have the inversion layers reduced the production at the San Juan Yard? Also, can you install solar panels at a different location and transfer that electricity to another facility like the community park and also transfer that electricity to City Hall and also the police department because that would give you the best use of your area in addition to the avenue treatment facility. Thank you. And Mr. Mayor, we did receive one additional speaker card, Cheryl Collard. Cheryl, you'll have three minutes as well. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor and Council. I'd like to uh, simply urge you to go forward with this. As I spoke to you as a um, speaker during the CARP discussion, my words were go, go, go. <laughs> this is that opportunity to respond to what the staff has presented to you. Uh, I will say I was present at the 2005 ribbon cutting at the uh, city's corporation yard. I can't believe it's going to take us 20 years to do it again from 2020, excuse me, 2005 to 2025. This is something that is a standard type of agreement that's used by public agencies around the, the state. So I think uh, I would rely upon the staff's good work to give us the evaluation and discussion of that. I think the last comment I'd like to leave, or a couple comments, is that the, the public is asking for this. You have public support for this. You know that the public wants these kinds of things to go forward. We have an example at Ventura Community College District at their parking lot. That parking lot has been, it's in my neighborhood, it's wildly uh, successfully used every weekend as part of the fa uh, College Foundation Marketplace. So it's made great improvement to our neighborhood. Um, in due respect to where the money comes for the parking lot, that ought to stay in public works. And if there are any savings that come from this type of uh, project, as uh, I think was indicated, maybe 140, 142,000 a year is projected, that ought to become part of your green savings account. Somehow do some accounting so begin to realize you're not without funds when projects come forward to be thinking about how to reinvest in what the community wants you to have 
for us for the benefit of all to add other pieces, whether it's uh, the battery backup or um, spreading it around. There's constraints within this agreement. So I think the public needs you to go forward with this with uh, as much speed as you can. If you can get it in before uh, 2025, that'd be great. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, that's gonna conclude public comment. Thank you much. Council, any other questions? Mr. McReynolds. Uh, yeah, so there was a question regarding the Avenue Treatment Plant. Did we look at other facilities besides the, I mean, did we look at the Avenue Treatment Plant and or any other facilities? We did not look at the Avenue Treatment Plant. Um, we did look at one other water, so it was actually um, the uh, Buena Golf Course. So the Buena Golf, Golf Course is adjacent to a well pump that uses a lot of electricity and so the, the idea would be that covered parking would go along uh, Olivas Park Drive uh, where the parking is for the, for the golf course. And for various reasons, it was determined that um, that project, I mean, in hindsight now with the damage to the course, um, you know, maybe that's another reason, but it was determined that that, that project um, shouldn't go forward. So, that was the only water, wastewater facility that we looked at. We did not look at the Avenue plant. So what are the options of expanding this then to other city facilities? Well, the, the primary limitation is that with these projects, we were able to get our applications in for net energy metering 2.0, which is, is much more financially beneficial. And now that it's, it's moved to the net energy metering 3.0, the the economics are not as positive for this type of project. So uh, at this point, there's likely not the financial advantage of pursuing additional projects. Thank you. Um, kind of a follow-up on that. It, um, I, I'm not a weatherman, nor an engineer, nor a mathematician, but um, for a lot of us who have lived in Ventura, and I live on the coast, and I know it's foggier there or politely an inversion layer there more frequently is the size of the plant the water plant that's what four and a half miles um, is, is the size of that area um, attractive enough for us to substitute one for another I guess does it make sense to look at that site I will say we did, in the past, we did look at that site as an alternative. We, we didn't consider the floating um, solar panels, which is what was mentioned by the speaker. We were looking at putting panels on top of the, the covered, they have a reservoir that's covered, and putting them on, on top of that. And we did uh, preliminary engineering analysis of whether or not that structure could hold the additional weight of um, putting solar panels on top. And at that time, it was determined that they, they were concerned that the panel, the structure wasn't built to hold weight on top of it. And so at that point, it was determined that that probably wasn't a good location. But at the time, we weren't thinking about the floating panels. Um, so that wasn't evaluated. Does your expert, Sam, I'm sorry, I forgot your last name, Sam. Um, yeah, um, do you have experience in floating solar panels? Yes. Um, I think to Joe's point, um, this is certainly kind of the first phase of projects. 
Um, there's still an opportunity to evaluate additional locations and, and make that consideration in the future. These are the most shovel-ready, um, and so we wanted to come before you tonight with these to kind of um, you know, make, make traction and, and be able to come back with uh, future sites. Thank you. Other questions? Mr. Mayor, if I may. Yes. I think the other thing important for Council to remember is that under the agreement, we are paying for the power the panels generate. If it's very sunny and they generate a lot of power, we'll pay for a lot of power. If it's, if it's an inversion layer and we don't get as much energy from the panels, we only pay for what we receive. So it's not as if we're paying a flat rate and tr looking for a rate of return. We're just paying for the power that the panels generate. The, the second clarification I'd like to make as well, the comments regarding the exhibits. Uh, the original copies versions that were in the staff report did provide the color and clarity I think your council was looking for. Obviously, the reproductions were, uh, were lacking, so we apologize for that. Questions? Mr. Johnson? Thank you. I, I, this probably be a question for Mr. Penman, of all people. <laughs> um, what about this idea of a green savings account? We were, if we were to earmark this money for future things that might show up, for example, in our CARP, do we ha currently have something like that? And if we don't, what would it take to, to start one? Well, this is the specific question of whether we have that account, I'm probably not prepared we don't. The thing is, there's a trade-off. These the savings is going to pay for the work. So if we don't utilize the savings, you know, then it doesn't pay off. So it's like we're making an investment. It pays off, and it pays for that investment um, in lower costs. But if we take that money and earmark it somewhere else, if I'm understanding this right, Bill, then then we don't achieve our goal on the project. Would you concur with that, Mr. Nelson? I would. I, I would comment that I've seen that uh, strategy employed before as a way to uh, generate an income stream to produce more projects. But as the city manager pointed out, it just means the savings that would have been applied in some other area for some other purpose no longer available. Your question as to how, what would it take, I think it would take your council directing us to do exactly that. Yeah, I, I'm not suggesting it's a bad idea. Actually, it's one yeah. way to, you know, earmark funds for that purpose. It just mm -hmm. you have to make a policy decision of, you know, what portion of that savings you're going to pay for the project versus, mm -hmm. you know, put into a green savings account. Thank you, and certainly we'll be talking about the CARP later tonight. I, um, but that answers my questions. Thank you, Mayor. Any other questions, Mr. McReynolds? Was that an adjustment of your glasses? Okay. Um, I will then um, close the public hearing. Um, council deliberation, the motion is required. I'd like, I'd like to make a motion. M motion's been made. Well, I have uh, a couple amendments I'd like to add to it. Uh, so in terms of the tree replacement, I'd like to see that moved up to a 10 to 1 ratio, uh, including the previous trees that were removed from the police fire headquarters. Um, I would like the, uh, the photovoltaic system pre-wired for electric vehicles. I mean, I think, you, I think I appreciate staff. This is an incredible opportunity. It moves us towards our climate goals. But I'm looking for 21st century solutions and not taking advantage while we have that parking lot torn up to pre-wire uh, for the electric vehicles seems like a huge mistake in my opinion. Um, I would like to see where the battery storage is going to occur. 
Uh, I want to make sure that we are actually putting these uh, systems in the right place. And then finally, uh, I do want to see that parking lot analysis regarding community park to make sure that we're, you know, not spending $2 to save a dollar uh, on it. So that would be my motion. I second that. Uh, questions? Anything else? Is there's a first and a second? Mr. Johnson. Thank you. I, and, and this goes to uh, some of the things that are going to come up, I suspect, during our discussion of the CARP. Um, where are we with the planting of trees? I, I hope, I apologize for putting you on the, on the spot with this, but, you know, we could have volunteers plant a thousand trees, but we would not really be able to water them. Is that the limiting factor or...? That is a limiting factor. Thank you for the question, Council Member. I, I talked with Ms. O'Connor this morning just on that very topic. So when it comes to trees, whenever we do a CIP, we always coordinate with parks to look for opportunities to replace or plant more trees. Or in cases where we've had to remove trees, uh, safer sidewalk disruptions or things like that, where we replace them uh, typically with one and a half or two for everyone taken. Uh, the big limiting factor is parks has the resources to water about 200 trees. And so above that, we'll be planting trees that don't receive any water unless the public is willing to help us out or some other means, or uh, her resources are increased to do that. So uh, it's not that we don't want to plant them. We certainly do. But we don't want to plant them if we can't take care of them and just to have them die in place. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to ask that, that question, even though, um, even though technically we're, we're into deliberations. Um, you know, I, my, my, I'll support the 10 to 1 trees with, with just the acknowledgement that we're just going to plant however many trees we can water. And we can say we're replacing this eucalyptus tree, or we can just say we're adding street trees. I, I don't know. The, the pre-wire for electrical charging, were you considering, uh, would you consider being a little more specific as to charging for how many vehicles or... Because I assume we're not talking about, uh, or perhaps we are, we're talking about uh, laying conduits so they have the ability to have power at every parking spot? I would, I'm somewhat open to leaving at the staff. It's more about getting the conduit in the ground while, the, while it's open so that we're not tearing up the parking lot again. You know, it'll extend the life of the, the concrete and asphalt, you know, by a huge factor. Uh, uh, Thank you. If you have a recommendation, I'm... No, I, I certainly support that. I, I think we probably need to be looking at the ability for people to charge with, a, with one of the lower power trickle chargers when they're in some of these places. We don't have to put Tesla chargers everywhere. But um, at the very least, yes, having, having the infrastructure there. Uh, and so the, that answers my questions. With that, I'll be happy to support the motion. So, Mr. McReynolds, would you be... Um, happy if staff would come back to us with a recommendation on how many EV chargers and what species at a later date? Not a problem at all. Okay. Any other questions? I think we're ready for a vote. Okay. We do have a motion and a second on the floor. The motion is to approve the staff recommendation with the following revisions. A 10 to 1 ratio for tree removal, including previously removed trees. Pre-wired for electric vehicles, 
see where battery storage could occur and a parking lot analysis on Community Park. You can go ahead and enter your, your vote now. All votes have been entered. Six ayes and the motion carries. Thank you much and thank you for the help. On to item number 11, endorsement of the Climate Action Resiliency Plan, or as some people call it, CARP. Ms. Sayer, you're going to lead us through this? And as uh, she's coming up, as a reminder, this item was continued from July 10th meeting, and for the purpose of council deliberation only, we've already taken public comment on this item on July 10th. To help inform council's discussion, I'd like to hear from staff regarding activities that are currently being worked on. Mr. Nelson, I think you're going to drive this first part. That is correct, Mr. Mayor, and I apologize if I may have two minutes to go get my notes. Uh, take two minutes and... Thank you. We wouldn't want you talking without your notes, Mr. Nelson. Mr. Nelson, are we ready? We are ready, thank you. Uh, Mr. Mayor, members of the council, again, I'm Phil Nelson, your public works director. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk about some of the things staff has already been doing with regard to the CARP. Uh, two weeks ago, there was conversation about uh, the timeline, and I think there was concern that staff would not be working on anything relative to the CARP, and felt it was important to um, to enumerate some of the things we were, are working on. So I'll hit them at a very high level, but just to give you a sense that although many of these things, all of these things are contained in the CARP, some of them are priority list items. Um, the CARP obviously as of yet is just draft. It has not been approved. It needs to go through the environmental process. Uh, but we've realized many of these things are important and need to be worked on now, and so that's why we've been doing them. We've been working on benchmarking, uh, doing energy and water benchmarking on all city facilities uh, greater than 50,000 square feet. 
We've been working with Edison and CPA on the green business program and incentive programs for, for uh, businesses. We've also been working with uh, Edison again and CPA uh, on education programs with regard to green businesses. We're involved in the, uh, in the um, CPA. We have a community participation of 89% towards green energy. Uh, your council just approved three solar projects that we'll be moving forward on. We're also working on a facilities decarbonization plan to include LED uh, upgrades in many of our city facilities, reduce energy usage there. In terms of the fleet, we've been transitioning the fleet into a zero emission fleet. We currently have 27 hybrid and seven EV vehicles. Uh, we, at every new equipment purchase, we look for opportunities to go either with hybrid or electric vehicle. Uh, we've been starting to roll out some hybrid patrol vehicles. We were looking at uh, EV trucks, uh, heavy duty and medium duty. They're kind of hard to come by for EV. Uh, we were looking at a purchase for some of the Ford Lightnings, uh, but those productions have been discontinued with some battery issues. We're sure that they'll get started again, and we'll be looking to buy those trucks when we can. We've established a sustainability purchasing policy through our purchasing group, uh, looking at uh, making sure that we procure, not as a requirement, but as a recommendation with options of different things that city can purchase when we have sustainable options. In terms of our social media, we have quite a bit of outreach occurring uh, through social media, through newsletters, and in-person events. We have our Sustainable Ventura newsletter that we put out on a regular basis. Uh, we're working on electric vehicle outreach, partnering with Electric Drive 805. We work with the Ventura Unified School District on a, um, a green schools program where we go into the schools and talk about sustainability things and, and things that people can be doing at their homes. Uh, mentioned about the tree, tree canopy and what we do in terms of trying to increase our urban forest as we can with CIP projects. With resiliency hubs, we've received a congressional mandated grant uh, that we are partnering with the County of Ventura to put air conditioning in EP Foster uh, Library, uh, working on that project. So we have a, a resiliency hub there uh, during the heat events. For reduced stormwater runoff and stormwater quality, of course, we have those requirements in all new construction to retain stormwater on site. We're working with the county and other county agencies on the new MS4 permit. The projects that are required to, to uh, increase or meet the new water quality standards as well as to uh, detain more water and let it percolate into the ground so it, it doesn't get into the rivers. With regards to uh, the open space, we're working on a beach management plan for the Pierpont uh, area. We're working on promenade repairs for re reinforcing that area, make sure we uh, protect that coastline. Uh, coastal resiliency financing, we've received a $16.2 million grant. We'll be coming to your council here soon to accept from the Coastal Conservancy to uh, complete phase two of uh, Surfers Point project. We're very excited about that. We're working with UCSB and the Ventura County Regional Energy Alliance. Uh, to work on a, um, a grant for EV charging stations at multifamily housing units. We're also partnering with VCREA and EV Advocates of Ventura and other private companies to pursue no-cost EV installations. As far as the EV installations around the city, we currently have 105 private stations in 30 locations. 
We're working on seven more locations, and we have 29 charge points here at city facilities for city vehicles. The active transportation plan is in draft and currently going through a public review. That will produce a number of projects that will further advance our ATP network within the city. And we're already pretty much a leader in the county, but this will take us even to the next level on that. And then finally, with regards to reducing fire risk, uh, FIRE has been working with CAL FIRE. We have a CAL FIRE grant working with them on fuel reduction in the Fired Hazard Reduction Program. All of those things I listed are cover a little over 20 of the 100 plus recommendations that are in the CARP. Um, and I only mention them because I want to make sure Council is aware we are actively working on these things. We are not waiting a year, two years before we do anything. That's more related to the actual approval of the CARP. It requires that environmental review that was mentioned a couple of weeks ago, so that will occur. Um, and I'd also like to, to mention, if I may, there was some question around uh, what's been proposed, maybe not containing the level of detail some people were hoping to see. As I mentioned, there's over 100 items in there. It would be very difficult to develop the schedules and budgets and everything to go along to support all 100 of them without knowing which ones were most important to your council. Which ones would we start with? Where, what should we work on? Um, our intent is once we have that direction from you this evening, then we can develop those detailed schedules, the resource requirements. What are we able to do with the resources we have now? And what additional resources might we need to do the other things that your council would like us to do? So uh, with that, we look forward to the discussion and hearing uh, your thoughts on the priorities that have already been included in the draft and, and then any other items that you want to talk about on the cart. And that ends my comments. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. You bet. Council deliberations. Questions? Who would like to start? I just have a point of order. <clears throat> uh, before we took our break, we had a motion and a second. And then we carried over uh, to this tonight. Re regarding CARP. Regarding CARP. Does that, is that still on the table or? Mr. City Clerk, um, did we have a motion and a second from two weeks ago, right? Uh, I would defer to the city attorney, but the motion was to continue the item and to not take uh, public comment to continue the item for council deliberation only, and action was taken on that item. So there's no standing uh, motion uh, or a second on this item, as I recall. As I remember, Mr. Attorney, um, once that, you know, there was already a motion that was essentially a point of order that was brought up for, for that motion, but so uh, because that original motion has not been dealt with, that would still be in play, correct? We're just picking up where we left off. Um, that's my understanding. I, 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 my records show that we had a motion and second to, uh, to table the item to the 24th, no public comment. Before that, my recollection is Councilmember Campos made a motion. Then uh, Councilmember Johnson seconded the motion. Councilmember Halter provided comment. By then, we hit the witching hour. We just the, the unless the goal was to start over. I thought the goal was just to pick up from the midnight. Um, I, I apologize. In my notes, I don't have. I have. A motion made by Councilmember Johnson 
uh, with feedback to staff, and that never was seconded according to my mm -hmm. records. I do have some comments from Councilmember Campos about coming back uh, with discussion about the cooling center in Westside Pool. I'm, I don't have that recorded as a, a motion, but I'm not the official record keeper here. so I, I would uh, agree with the city attorney. I as well do not have that as a recorded motion. The last action on this item was the continuation okay. and uh, the uh, council deliberation only. From my records, we're starting uh, fresh with council deliberation. So there's, in, in your opinion, in both your opinions, there's no standing motion in, that has been seconded? That's correct. That's not, I don't, I believe that's the case. Okay. 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 Thank you for clarifying that. And thanks for bringing that up, Mr. McReynolds. Um, time for deliberations. Questions? Yeah, Mr. Halter? Yeah. Um, it looks like we have a really good start. And I knew that there's a lot of activity going on uh, to help, help do what we do, what we can to um, uh, do our part to alleviate the climate change. And um, what I'm curious, though, is as far as um, measurable results, and what I envision is the dashboard of, of uh, results as we move forward and, and making sure that we set policy that encourages the rest of our citizens in this community to help us get to those goals. So you have any comments on that? One of the action items is to develop the metrics to track progress. So yes, we would be doing that. Uh, I don't have specific details on exactly what that would look like, but just as we do with the, like the CPA participation, we track what those numbers are for residential, non-residential. We would be looking to do the same thing in other categories. Thank you. Other questions? Uh, I'm not getting it. Yeah, you better wave at me. If, if you're hitting your request to speak, it's not coming up here, so. Uh, do you, would you like to speak, Mr. Johnson? Thank you. I, I'm trying to piece together what the discussion was where we picked up, but but I th I thought that we had been uh, even. I thought I thought that there was a motion um, that that this would come back to us sooner than a year. That it was going to come back to us in three months or six months, and I thought that was where we had left off. Um, I don't. I wasn't the one who made that motion. It was it was Council Member Campos. Um, do you, would you care to remake that motion? Well, I um, don't have that written in front of me right now. I thought it would come back with the evening material, but I also didn't remember that it was seconded. I thought you had made an alternative <laughs> motion. <laughs> well, it was okay. late. <laughs> um, it, it was late. So then I am going to make a motion that this return to us within three months. Um, what I would like it to, when it comes back to us in three months, you know, I apologize to everybody that in the last meeting I was not fully prepared. There was a supplemental packet that I had missed. And in particular, um, I am, I share the concerns of Donald Price um, as somebody who is a retired environmental engineer from the Ventura County Air Pollution Control District. I, I take his uh, feedback very seriously. Uh, I would like this to come back to us within 90 days. First with um, amended numbers 
as he points out, you know, the sort of calculus, the, the, the math and the numbers that appear in the, that appeared in the draft EAP. Uh, we don't see those as well in the CARP. I appreciate in his letter to us that he works through the math to show how he reached those numbers. And, and I think it's important that uh, we be able to do that. You know, the inconsistency that he points out, um, I would have trouble just going at, along with this. Um, you know, to read the final statement, the, the final sentence of this, he says, until all numbers are verified, this document cannot be approved. I, I'm willing to, to have it come back to us in 90 days with that. I, I would also like when it comes Can back I to us. Can I get a second on that before we? Let me, yeah, let me we finish second. the second part. But I have a little more of the motion. Yeah, a little more of the motion. Okay, I do. Go ahead. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, secondly, I would like it to come back to us uh, with a discussion of the priorities. Uh, because we have some priorities there to list in CARP. I think that needs to be broadened for community input and for council input on what the priorities should actually be so that then hopefully we can give it our blessing and tell staff to go forth and, and uh, work on those priorities. And so I apologize for not stating the motion clearly, but my motion is that it come back to us in 90 days with the math and for a discussion including public input on what the priorities are Second. Discussion on the motion. I have a clarifying Please. question. As opposed to 90 days, uh, would you be open to considering the second council meeting and I believe October? Just, just so it doesn't, if, if it, that way staff, yeah, I don't want to. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Cheat them of a council, you know, one. Sure. Yeah, second meeting in October. Sure. Just a point of clarification here. Um, so it says that the recommendation is to endorse the climate action and resilience plan. So it's not, I don't, saying we endorse it be, because it's a moving kind of a living document. It's, I thought, you know, hey, this is where we're at right now. Let's endorse that. And then we can make whatever recommendations we want for them to come back at a later date. But the goal was to endorse this tonight because they're still working on things which you could bring back. Mr. Halter. Great, thank you. I wanna, uh, I agree with uh, Council Member Duran. I, what I see is this, again, we're looking at don't let perfect get in, get in the way of good. And I think that uh, moving forward, uh, we this isn't something, you know, so many times we create documents that sit on shelves and it's like, great, we did that, we accomplished something. And as a business owner and somebody that's been involved for a long time in a lot of different ways, I, those documents are living documents. And this is one that absolutely has to be a living document. This is one that we have to constantly be adding to the matrix, to the, uh, the measurable results and figuring out um, what areas we can help make an impact on climate change. And I think getting something down as approved and then continuing to modify that uh, every month, every quarter, every half year, uh, and getting that uh, dashboard up is good. I, I don't want to see us table this for three months and then 
say, well, this is missing and that's missing, let's table it again for six months. And then next thing you know, it's 2030 and we're making progress because you are making progress already, even without this plan. But I believe in living documents and not just a document that sits on a shelf. So I would not su support this motion. Ms. Campos. Councilmember Johnson, are you willing to amend your motion to say we will approve it with the condition that it comes back in at to that second meeting in October with the corrections? Mr. Johnson. Thank you, Ms. Campos. Yes, I would, I would say that we're willing to endorse it with the, the proviso. My fear is that if we do not make this change, um, we endorse this, the plan for it is to come, back, to come back to us in a year. And that is not a living document. That is not an opportunity to keep adding to it monthly or quarterly. And that's why I want to make sure that we have that opportunity. Um, as we all know from the amount of public feedback we got, uh, a lot of people uh, were we're surprised to see such a huge issue suddenly show up with, with one week's notice. Um, with all due respect, Mr. Mayor, at our last meeting you said it was great to see so many new faces. I knew just about everybody who spoke. And these are people who don't speak at every meeting, but they have spoken at council meetings for 10 or 20 years on this topic. We have a fantastic pool of dedicated people, including people like Donald Price and you know, I cannot endorse it without having the opportunity to hear from them and also for council to actually provide input into what the priorities are that we are making. Uh, Councilmember Halty referred to this as an existential threat two weeks ago, the, perhaps the most serious issue we face. And so I think council should show some leadership and uh, revisit this issue sooner than a year from now. So I will stick with my motion. Thank you, Mayor. So um, I think the answer to your question was no. Is that? No. To, to restate, I would say that we endorse it with the proviso that it comes back to us within 30 okay, days. So you, so We're not being asked to accept the Climate Action Resilience Plan. That was made clear. Right. But to endorse, endorse it, it comes back before the second meeting in October with the greenhouse gas numbers figured out and an opportunity for council to discuss and deliberate what the priorities in the CARP should be. Okay. Mr. McReynolds. Uh, I have a question regarding kind of procedure. So my recollection was that this was funded through a grant uh, for the, for, to where we are today. Thank you, council member McReynolds. And if, if it is, uh, pleases the council, if I could ask some clarifying questions and jump in with some additional information. The Climate Action and Resilience Plan was funded through a Wildfire Resiliency and Recovery Planning Grant that we received, um, WRRP, uh, a couple of years ago at the same time that we applied for other grant funding for the general plan update. We received about a million dollars worth of funding. Uh, the amount that was dedicated towards this this effort was $178,770. We have exhausted that budget, and we have also dipped into a little bit of the contingency 
for the general plan update to be able to have the consultants join these meetings. If we were to make additional revisions or go back with additional analysis, we would need a budget amendment and contract amendment to the Ramey and Associates contract and find additional funding to uh, provide for the consultant services to make any adjustments at this point. And just, again, I'm not, I'm talking about the motion, but not. So if what Councilmember Johnson was requesting, would we need to allocate additional funding? I, once council has decided exactly what direction they'd like to take, I'd need to um, get with the consultant team to see how much um, funding would be needed for that type of resource. We'd need to find funding in the budget for that and do a contract budget amendment before Ramey Associates could move forward on working on additional amendments. Three months would be extremely tight to be able to do all of that and the work necessary. That's a little bit where I'm headed, but again, so it's kind of a question to you, but it's also Ms. Sayer. So if, because we're dark in August, if they gotta come back, I'm just wondering if three months is a realistic time frame because we're gonna lose our ability to allocate funding um, on it is my question. So not necessarily the, the items, just do you feel like that's fair? Mr. Johnson? If I may, I'm just, it, it's, it's a little dispiriting that we've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and I don't know how many years and this showed up to council a week in advance and we're told that we can either pass it or that's it because we don't have the money to actually take council or public input into this. There were, I believe, two meetings on the CARP, is that correct? The public engagement related to the Climate Action Resilience Plan is we held two uh, workshops, uh, three actually, one workshop in person, two virtual workshops. We held targeted focus group meetings with the West Side. We partnered with CAUSE to do flyer, door-to-door -door targeted engagement. We did focus groups with the youth as well as the Spanish-speaking population. Uh, we held two online surveys that garnered over 15,000 respondents to those online surveys. Uh, some of the recommendations last time that we heard from public comment are things that we did. We asked the community things that they are already doing and willing to do as part of the Climate Action Plan. We released a public draft that was circulated for six weeks for public comment. We did receive several lengthy public comment letters and then staff and the consultant team sat down and went bullet by bullet through that public comment, made revisions to the draft and then brought it forward to council for consideration. Um, uh, we believe there was a, a robust uh, response to the public comment that we did and very happy with all those that engaged in the process. Thank you, that more than satisfies my concerns on public engagement. That was more than I remembered, but I, uh, I, I think that is important. Um, I am going to stick with my motion. I am not going to endorse a plan where the numbers the math isn't there, and where council doesn't have an opportunity to weigh in on the priorities. Mr. McReynolds. So I appreciate that the motion may not pass, but I will not be endorsing this otherwise. Got it, Mr. McReynolds. So again, I'm, I'm trying to, to get to, to yes. I just wanna make sure that we can actually get there. So my question would be, could you come back with something in terms of what Councilmember Johnson seconded by 
council member compost on the September 11th council meeting in terms of what that that is and then this is the second part of the question would you be willing to consider the November sec the second meeting in November so that just to give everybody the fair time to I would I, I would I, I you make a great amount of sense Councilmember Reynolds. But Councilmember, he/she still has to answer the first question if that's actually a realistic. Uh, if I could ask for kind of more information about what additional information around the priorities council is looking for, um, so through the public engagement of all the surveys and workshops. Um, that we did 10 priority strategies were identified through that public engagement is the desire that we provide more context around those 10 priority strategies with timelines and budget or look at all of the strategies councilmember Johnson if you could provide some more information if I, if I just I, my intent is we would do the and I believe this is the intent of the motion we would endorse or I don't know endorse is the right word we would move forward and then on September 11th, they would come back, and then we could put a to yours. That's that's kind of where I'm trying to to so get. That Mr. McReynolds, on September 11th, what's your expectation that they come back with, like a budget number? Yeah, the yeah, the scope and the proposal based on Councilmember Johnson and Compos's uh, uh, what they're looking for. If I may, just to clarify, along with um, Community Development Director. We can come back with a number, but we need to know what you want us to look at. Mm -hmm. I recall towards the end of the conversation that the, the hour was late and um, we wanted to bring it back, you wanted to bring it back and it was there would be no additional public comment. And so our, my question was, well, do you need anything else from staff for this meeting? And the answer was no, that we were looking for input from the councils, what you want us to look at. Now it could be the whole plan, but be, have more definitive numbers, time frames, and things, or it could just be setting a, a list of priorities. That here's the things that we want to look at first. So I, that was kind of my take. So we were looking for direction from the council. What did you want us to look at? Well, of course, have to meet with the consultants based on your input tonight, come up with a figure and a time frame. Or do you want, you want us to look at selected items, for lack of better words, the low-hanging fruit, the longer-term plans? What will those things cost? How doable they are in the, in the you know the future, and then we can develop those numbers. So probably I didn't know the least that anyone in the room about this whole subject, but that was kind of my sense at the end of the meeting. You'll give us some direction tonight. What you want to look at? We'll we'll meet with the consultants, develop a timeline and a budget for what that'll take, and then bring it back to you. And and then you can decide. Okay, yes, yes, this, this, no, you know that sort of thing. Because I know it's hard to make decisions without knowing what you know what the number is going to be and how long it's going to take I have Ms. Campos followed by Mr. Halter so at the last meeting there were 11 highly respected scientists in the room and based on their public comment and resulting further email we see many deficiencies if we can provide those email to Ms. Zayer and the consultants, would that to, to attempt to incorporate or resolve some of their questions, would that be satisfactory, Mr. Johnson? Well, certainly, I, I'm sure staff has seen um, a number of the public comments. 
the one, you know, the one in particular for me was, was Donald Price with, with just the math that is, that is not there. Um, and inconsistencies on what we, what we would actually be looking at in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, you know, when we look at a bunch of the other emails, there are some great emails in there with a lot of wonderful ideas. Um, but, you know, I, for example, Todd Collert, um, you know, he wrote, you know, the CARP is not an action plan. And, and the truth is what we're looking at is not really. What I would like to see with the priorities is a discussion of what the timeline would be, what the budget commitments would be. There may be things where council is going to say, um, you know, for the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that this would do and the cost and the time, it, let's, let's make that a lower priority. Let's make this other thing a higher priority. But what we have instead are uh, almost aspirational goals. And I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that. Mr. Halter. Yeah, I think we're, it's, to me, it's almost semantics because I don't disagree that there's a lot more detail that needs to come forward, but I also trust that uh, our entire community has an interest to see more detail come forward. So uh, I think this is a great beginning, and we could add detail, as, you were, as our staff was mentioning earlier. And um, I think at some point there might, may even be uh, a need to, judging by our workload at City Hall and what department's handling this, I think that maybe a need for a director of some type um, to help us get through climate change. There's a lot of things that can be considered, a lot of things that I would want us to weigh the pros and cons on um, what makes the most sense for this community. Um, one of the things, of course, that I didn't really hear a lot of, and I mentioned in my diatribe last time, <laughs> was buying local just simply convincing people in Ventura County to buy local. That saves a lot. When I talk to a concrete company like DMI in Oxnard, which I consider local, uh, they're on the forefront of creating concrete that is a much more low carbon emitting concrete, because concrete emits a lot of com uh, carbon in compounds. And so anyway, so I, I typically would start with, okay, we have this plan, we have a direction, we know we need more detail, um, my fear is that we're going to keep waiting for more detail and more detail and more detail. I'd rather ask staff to come back with the matrix uh, or the measure, how we're going to measure it, uh, how we could see a dashboard. Everything from electric houses to, to uh, eliminating two-stroke engines and looking at the pros and cons to the problems with gas to uh, buying local. Uh, I would love to see our state that had a $100 billion surplus last year actually do mass transit across the state. That would save a huge amount of uh, carbon in the air if we simply had that kind of plan and that sort of forethought, and maybe someplace where people lived. Um, <laughs> but all that said is um, there's a lot of good ideas. I know our community is well-versed in those good ideas, and, but I see we keep adding to it and seeing how we reach that carbon goal together over the next six years. We don't have a huge amount of time uh, to make a difference. That's why I, did, I just didn't want to postpone it, but we are talking semantics. I agree that we need more detail. Okay. Mr. Penman, uh, Ms. Sayer, um, do you have enough specifics on the discussion of priorities that you could come back or that you could um, go to the consultant and get a quote and come back with us and tell us here's the financial responsibility for that? Uh, thank you, Mayor Schroeder, council members, and I apologize if I'm 
missing the discussion here, but uh, maybe if I could back up a little. The intent of bringing the CARP at this stage for endorsement was we do have a list of varying strategies at varying degrees of cost, um, time, energy, effort, um, that would be uh, taken by staff in the community to implement some of these action items. Now, we did list all of those strategies in the climate action plan. We intentionally didn't go to the next layer of putting metrics and timelines and staff resources and costs because we wanted to check in with council to see if there were priority strategies that council wanted us to focus on. Now we did do a lot of public engagement and that public engagement identified through the feedback that there was 10 priority strategies. At last, me last uh, council meeting, Eric went through what those 10 priority strategies. We wanted council's endorsement of the plan overall and those 10 priority strategies. If council believes that is where the focus of our energy should be, we can then move forward and uh, do that further analysis of budget, timeline, resources, funding that would be needed, grants that are available, and then also the uh, with that endorsement, we could discuss budget of what would be needed if we needed staff consult or consultant support to supplement staff's resources. And so really for tonight, we were looking at council for if you're comfortable or if some of those strategies that we focus on need to be switched out from the 10 that are identified to hear from council what that would look like so we can then move forward. And so um, if council or uh, council member Johnson, if your strategies you're identifying are those 10 priority ones that we listed, then uh, Mayor Schroeder, yes, I believe we have the direction needed and we can go and put budget, strategy, all of the additional information. We don't disagree with the public that there needs to be additional information. However, we didn't want to be um, get ahead of council in identifying what all of those were before checking in. Thank you. Questions? Mr. McReynolds. So I, I believe uh, my colleagues, Councilmember Johnson, Councilmember Campos, are in favor of the endorsement. It's about how do we come back in the meantime. And so, I mean, I, I do agree. This is the existential crisis of our generation. If the world. And, and I look at this letter signed by 13 different community groups on this, and they ask some hard questions, you know, that I think we, as the council, owe them hard answers on. You know, so, there, you know, I, I get there's a recommendation in the CARP regarding greenhouse reduction. They want to hire threshold, you know, that's adopted by a couple other agencies. The question that I would like answered is, okay, what would it cost for us to figure that out? I think we move forward with the, what we have, but I think we owe, this is the existential, we owe to an, answers to these questions. And, you know, I would like to see it come back and, you know, and, and there's going to be a, a dollar figure either with a study or what the implementation is. And I think we've been elected to make that hard decision um, on it. And so I don't think we have, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, we're pleased with staffs, you know, what, what we've got today. We need to move forward on it so that we can land the plane on the general plan because this gets rolled into the 
the general plan uh, at, at a later date. The Climate Action Resilience Plan will be a standalone document. It will not be part of the but general plan, but the, it, it, a lot of the analysis does inform, and it relies on the same environmental document. Okay. So, but I, I still think we, this is the opportunity to ask the hard questions, get some answers, put some dollars to it. So I, I am in favor of, I believe the motion as it stands right now would be to endorse the, the, the Climate Action Plan and then come back at the September 11th meeting with some, some numbers so we can figure out how to move forward from there. Um, that's, that's, so that's where I'm at. And, I, and I, I, I appreciate all the work you did into to making sure that, that we could come up with something that, that was doable. Uh, I, I think that's fine. Um, you know, we have seen plans, and I'll pick one, the senior strategic plan. Council adopted a senior strategic plan. Staff was supposed to come to back to us every year to make sure that we're implementing it. And you know how many times it came back to council after we adopted it? Yeah, zero. Zero. So, you know, what I am looking for, and I'll just be blunt, in politics, you know, the political side is, you know, some leverage to make sure that we actually follow through on this, that we commit to actually making these changes, that this doesn't get filed with the senior strategic plan. Um, and, and I appreciate all the work when you have 10 priorities and you have so many public outreach things, it's the same thing with the general plan. You know, there's always the opportunity to find what you want to find in, in something that big. And I think it's important for council to be able to do it. And then council needs to be able to, to make those hard choices. I, I have hinted that I'm not a big fan of, of tree mandates. <laughs> but you know, when we, get to that, when we get to that discussion, I'm willing to have that discussion. But I think it does need to be a discussion. So the motion then is that it come back to us with a, uh, with a, with a, with an estimate for what it would cost to come back again with the greenhouse gas emissions data fixed and uh, it doesn't have to be exact dollar figures but you know small you know one dollar sign two dollar sign three dollar sign four dollar signs on what something might cost and uh, and timelines for implementing some of these things mm -hmm. um, we're looking at trying to reverse a couple hundred years of of greenhouse gas emissions um, some of these are going to be long-term plans but at the same time, to get to Mr. Halter's point, um, the point is not to uh, keep putting it off and keep talking about it. The point is to make sure that, especially as we head into next year's budget, that, that we've identified what those priorities are and that we've decided to fund them or not. And so I'd go back to the seconder of the motion. Yes, well, I would accept the description as you made it, Councilmember Johnson. I would say to Councilmember McReynolds, this isn't just the existential crisis of our time. It's our children that we need to work for and our grandchildren. Because if we don't take action, there's nothing for them. And that's why this is so important to me. And I'm just looking for a living document that has a timeline and that acknowledges where it's heading. 
So I, my second stands. Mr. City Clerk, are we, or are you clear on the uh, motion? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I do need a clarification in regards to the endorsement of the plan. So currently, as the motion that I have is uh, to request staff to return with an estimate by the September 9, uh, September 11th meeting uh, with the greenhouse gas numbers fixed and a cost analysis and timeline for the priorities. Does that include an endorsement of the plan? That was my understanding from 20 minutes ago from Ms. Campos. Is that correct? Thank you. It's a little tricky because uh, the endorsement was with the assumption that the greenhouse gas numbers would be fixed. But I will, I will, uh, I will, I will make it so that we endorse it uh, with that proviso and uh, with the understanding, of course, that uh, it's going to look pretty bad for council if if we don't dig into some of these issues and and put our money where our mouth is. And so, if the seconder is okay with that. Okay, uh, Mr. Halter, and that's Ms. then Ms. Zayer. I heard Ms. Zayer has to say. Oh. Sorry, I apologize again, Council. So September 11th, just so I'm crystal clear when I speak to Ramey and Associates, is that we would like a budget amount for an amendment to their contract to look at greenhouse gas adjustments to the figures and taking the 10 strat priority strategies and putting timeline budget figures and next steps to them. Again, it would be just for the budget. The actual work of that analysis wouldn't be expected by September 11th. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the clarification. And, uh, Mr. Mayor, that was this, uh, I'd like to also say I really appreciate our, my colleagues. Um, I think endorsing it is the right thing and coming back with a, with a uh, date certain uh, for a more detail. I think that's good. That's something I could support. Um, I also want to say is that uh, I do believe that this is a, a very, probably our most important topic, even though housing ranks right up there because we have such dire need for housing in this community and across the state. So with that said, as long as I sit in this chair, I will always, it's up to leadership to bring plans back. It's up to leadership to say, we have this plan and that plan and uh, this specific plan and, and how can we implement these plans? Uh, staff does their job and creates the plan but we, and these are living documents, but we don't often treat them like living documents, but this, I promise you, I will, as long as I sit in this chair. Okay, uh, Mr. Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, I apologize. We had a little sidebar conversation to make some clarity on this. I, I, I would like also to make sure that the motion reflects that, um, that the budget cost um, also, yeah. Well, why, why don't you make a yeah, I think the, the, to clarify is that the, the number that specifically regarding the greenhouse gas, the budget should reflect that coming back to us in that second meeting in November. Having the work completed by the second meeting in November. The hearing is the second meeting in November, so. With all of the greenhouse gas analysis and all of the priority strategy, additional information completed. Oh, that, no, the, the, I'm talking just about the greenhouse gas. Okay. 
I just, I, I would have, I want to make sure I confer with the consultant yeah, right. that we can do that, but that, yeah. that's definitely what we'll work towards. If there's issues, we can, if we can bring that up at September yeah. 11th. Right, if they say it's going to take them until January, the second meeting in January, I mean, let's have that discussion. Yeah, that, you, uh, Ms. Sayer, you have the ability to come back to us and say, we'll there's a, another date and it needs to move on and why, uh, so we give you full authority to do that. Okay, okay. thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I need to amend my motion. I think yeah. the direction of the staff is pretty clear on, on what we want from that. I would agree. I'm going to take a vote now. Okay, thank you, Mr. Mayor. I did just want to clarify from our conversation at the beginning of the item that we did not have a motion on the floor. I, I pulled my notes from the last meeting. There was a motion. There was no second on the motion, and that motion was discussing a list of items or priorities as an example. There was no second on that motion. Uh, also did just want to clarify that this item was posted as an advance notice in our agenda center on June 19th. Is everyone clear on the motion? I think we're clear. Okay, you can go ahead and enter your vote now for item number 11. Okay, six eyes and the motion carries. It's a great day in Ventura. Thank you very much for working together, council members. And Ms. Sayer, thank you very much. On item 12, the general plan update progress report. Ms. Sayer, I think you're up again. Thank you, Mayor Schroeder, council members. Uh, this. Um, I will keep this presentation brief. Um, unfortunately, Matt Ramey from Ramey Associates, who is the lead consultant on the general plan update, wasn't able to join us this evening. Uh, so I'll provide a brief progress report on the general plan update. Um, just a quick reminder of the purpose of the general plan. It is a long-term policy document to guide future actions in the city and typically is um, a usually a 20 to 30 year plan that sh should be recommended to be updated every 10 to 15 years. The last general plan was adopted by city council in 2005, so we're about in that timeline for, for update. Um, there are required elements of the general plan, eight specific elements, however, a city can choose to provide additional elements in the general plan as it's choosing, but listed on the screen are the eight required elements of the general plan. Just a quick update of where we are in the process. Uh, right now we are in the discussions of land use and land use alternatives leading into policy development um, and have already started discussions around policy. We've been in the land use alternatives phase for about a year and a half of this uh, update process. Just next steps of the land use a preferred land use map that's been developed based on um, uh, a lot of public engagement participation, including with our general plan advisory committee. Right now, there are two feedback forms that have been released to the public for their input on the preferred land use map and direction about the different areas in the community we've been discussing land use changes to. There's two different forms. One is a high level that just is for overall direction for different areas, vision statements, general 
feel and desire and citywide policies for different areas of the community. And that is really tailored for people who may have not been engaged or involved in this whole process to be able to provide high-level feedback on the general plan update. And then a more detailed feedback form that goes parcel by parcel, area by area in a map with identified uh, parcels and areas that are uh, proposed to change with this land use map uh, update. Targeted outreach is also being conducted. We've emailed all of the community councils and asked them to uh, distribute the feedback forms to their uh, network of, of community members. Um, we've emailed, sent several email blasts out to our database, which has become quite extensive through this process. We've been posting on social media. We held a virtual open house office hours last week for any members of the public who had questions or wanted to go through the maps with us. And then we are also having targeted focus group meetings with underrepresented groups of the community, particularly those that, uh, segments of the community that may have not uh, engaged uh, as robustly in this process as we would have liked. We are targeting a planning commission meeting of August 23rd to talk about the preferred land use uh, map as well as coming to you in September, on September 11th, to discuss the preferred land use map, at which time both planning commission and city council meeting, the feedback forms will be closed and staff will have the tabulated results of what the community's input has been on that preferred land use map prior to those meetings. Uh, to talk about the project schedule overall, uh, the general plan update effort really began in, in 2020 um, and has been going on since then. As I mentioned, we've been in the land use alternatives phase for about a year and a half now. Uh, projecting if we do uh, get endorsement from a preferred land use map from from Planning Commission and City Council in August and September, we would move on to the next phase. That preferred land use map would um, provide guidance on the environmental impact report and we could move into um, the EIR preparation and development. We would move into growth projections and really looking at the preferred land use map to really look at what the future projections are, and that would happen in the fall, and then moving on to policy direction in, again, now and in fall in developing those. Uh, once we have a preferred land use map, we can also begin engagement with the Coastal Commission to discuss those land use changes in the coastal area and then begin work on the local coastal program. Um, a, a large priority and part of this project is updating our coastal uh, local coastal program, which hasn't been comprehensively updated since 1989. Um, and as I mentioned, we'd initiate the EIR. Uh, all of this work would occur over the next six months or so. We'd have further meetings with the GPAC to discuss different elements of uh, the general plan beyond the land use uh, element and prepare a public draft for the general plan by winter. Um, I apologize, it says winter of 2024, but really winter of 2023 to then also release the public draft EIR at the same time uh, for public comment and then move forward for review, adjustments, edits, and then adoption hearings in summer 2024. So this schedule that outlines next steps of the rest of the general plan adoption would be about a year timeline projection. Um, 
staff is looking for feedback from council about this proposed schedule and if this is a direction that council would like staff to take in moving forward with the next steps to bring something back for council's adoption in about this time next year. Um, we have held more public engagement in GPAC meetings than was um, initially anticipated with the land use alternatives. We did not anticipate that taking a year and a half. Um, that has resulted in the need for a contract amendment and budget amendment for the general plan update to, um, to uh, accommodate the extra public engagement that we've done. We've done additional um, online surveys and stakeholder meetings and GPAC meetings and, in, and community engagement events. And so um, with council's uh, endorsement, we would be bringing a budget and contract amendment at the next meeting, uh, it's most likely September 11th, um, for endorsement and approval of that budget amendment and contract amendment. Uh, right now, we're looking at roughly about $400,000 in additional services and charge for the public engagement portions. With that, uh, staff is really looking for feedback from the City Council this evening on, that, on the update on those activities and the project schedule um, to really garner Council's impression of that as we move forward into next steps. And that concludes staff's presentation. I'm available for any questions. Council, questions, feedback on the activities in the project schedule? Are we good with it or? Do we have any public comment? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I think we start here and then we go public comment. I just want to know if we had public comment. Oh. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. No public comment received on item number 12. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. McReynolds. See, Mr. Duran. I just want to make a comment because I've been to some of the GPAC meetings and I just want to say thank you for all the work that you have put into it. Uh, Councilmember Halter, Councilmember McReynolds, we, it, it's, a lot, it's a lot of work. And um, I, I want to acknowledge that tonight because I, I don't think the majority of the public understand how, how much time you put in, 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 into all of this. And so I just want to say thank you very much for your team, for, all, for you guys. I appreciate you. And uh, that's all I have. Thank you. Yes, Mr. Halter. Great. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I just want to thank staff for all the hard work. Uh, I know this has been um, a very long process. And I think, how, how much has it cost so far to do this process? Um, Council Member Halter, I'm sorry, I don't have that exact figure off the top of my head, but I believe with, with this budget amendment, if um, council does approve it, we'd be at about $3.1 million about for the effort today. Thank you for that. I, you know, the reality is I've, um, I've gladly given my time to help participate in this activity because it really is, it is our vision document. This is our document that we say this is who we are, this is what our values are, and this is how we're going to move forward. And. Um, as I mentioned before, once we, I don't, I don't believe Ventura has ever been short people willing to invest here. It's up to us to tell them how we want them to invest here. And so with that said, um, I think it was absolutely apropos that we took longer on the land use uh, segment because that's where most of the fear is at. That's where most of us 
uh, feel that there might be disagreement and we needed to come to some sort of uh, compromise or resolution. And I think that in reality, what I sensed uh, in my time being on GPAC is it's about connecting the dots and, and trusting that each one of us that's been here for more than really six months or longer, um, there's things that we love about our city and there's ways that we can grow and prosper and create a better future without losing what we love about our city. So it's really defining that. And that's what this general plan, I think we have a good handle on how we're moving forward um, and how we're describing that as we move forward through the next several years. So I just want to thank you for all, all the effort and know that it's cost more money, it's taken more time, but I believe the time was needed uh, given our history and who we are and what our fears are as a community because we can't lose what we love about our community. Thank you. Other comments and questions? Mr. Johnson? Thank you. And on, and on that note, I just want to make sure I extend my thanks to all the members of the public who have spoken at the GPAC meetings and all the members of public who are serving on the GPAC committee. They've served longer than they originally signed up for. And uh, when I mentioned to one uh, about a week ago that we were looking at more GPAC meetings, he was surprised to hear about it. Um, but but it's been uh, it's it's great that we have so many people that are willing to put in the time. It has been an extensive commitment on the parts of our GPAC members, and and I just want to thank them as well for all the hard work they've done, and all the thought and discussion that's going on at those meetings. Yes, Mr. McReynolds, uh, can we go back to? I'm going to go. I'm going to call it. Slide. Sorry. Slide. I'm going to call it slide sixty. So I, I, I looked at my calendar really quick. So uh, August 5th, 2024 should be our last meeting before we go on recess on that. How do we get a hard commitment from either ourselves or what so that that last bullet point is when we're doing the, at, at a minimum or a maximum, I guess that would be the maximum that time what what has to happen now so that we can ensure that on august at the latest on august 5th of 24 we're adopting this document thank you council member mcgrill so that the adoption hearings of the last hearing of council would be august 5th um, if we follow this timeline meaning we um, by September have a, a preferred land use map endorsed by council, we can launch into creating the EIR and um, writing the um, general plan, which is going to take, is kind of the critical path for, for the longest duration of time. The preferred land use map is the critical item because the EIR and um, rest of the elements can't really begin work until that's kind of solidified. Can you go back one slide to 59? So then those two last bullet points. So those are essentially hard dates that we need to hit to hit the on it over there. Uh, yes, by September, we would need some type of endorsement by from council. Okay, and then going back to your statement regarding the budget and the, the revision, do we need any budget revision to hit those 
those dates in uh, August and September? Uh, no, the budget adjustments would be to make sure we're catching up for the rest of it, which okay. is why we're bringing it forward. So now. would we see those budget adjustments at the September 11th? Yes. Meeting along with the, what we just talked about previously on the CARP? Yes. Um, on it, okay. And then? Along with the preferred land use map. Along, yes, along with the preferred land use map, okay. So, and if we can hit that, then we can hit the August, ideally we'll be able to hit the August 5th, 24 date. I went too far. Yes. Okay. That's, those are my questions. Anything else? I think you have your feedback. Thanks for, and we need to do our part as city council to make sure um, that we hit our marks um, so that you can get the EIR done. Because I think the EIR is um, of greatest concern uh, from a time standpoint. So thank you very much. Thank you, council. Um, item number 13, contract award for pre-CL construction, the water group of Dorrington and Szymanski. I think we have a presentation. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. My name is Linda Szymanski, and I am the Ventura Water Peer Program Director. And joining me this evening for this presentation is Gina Dorrington, the Ventura Water General Manager. So tonight we're going to talk about the contract award to PCL construction for the pre-construction phase for the construction management at risk contract for the membrane bioreactor and ultraviolet light disinfection project. Ms. Szymanski, if I may, my apologies for interrupting. Just for interpretation purposes, if I could have you speak a little bit louder. Thank you. So our agenda this evening, um, we will review um, membrane bioreactor and ultraviolet light disinfection project. Um, then we'll go over the construction management at risk delivery method and then we'll go forward with our recommendations. So just to give some history on this project, um, back in March of 2022, as we were developing um, our, our master plan for the wastewater plant, we came across some, um, some items that needed attention. Um, there were some structural deficiencies that needed to be looked at and repaired. So as part of looking at alternatives to the repair of those particular items, um, we looked at some alternatives of ways that um, maybe we could change the processing method and did some comparisons. So in looking at um, some of the other projects that we had online for our wastewater plant, um, taking those into account, um, we we did an analysis and came up with um, the fact that the membrane bioreactor and ultraviolet project were a better deal for the city than going forward with the um, 
replace or the rehabilitation to solve some of the structural problems that we had found. And in March of 2022, we added this project to the capital improvement plan. In September of 2022, we brought the EIR addendum to council and it was certified. And then in November of 2022, we did award the design for the project to Kennedy Jenks. And just wanted to say to date, we are complete with the basis of design report, which gives us um, all of the factors that we need to consider in designing this project. And we have, we are in the midst of our 30% design. So just wanna um, talk a little bit about these technologies. So the membrane bioreactor um, uses an advanced biological process and then it uses membranes to treat the wastewater. And so this type of process would replace what we currently have, which is uh, like a sedimentation type of treatment with a biological process and then filtering. If this type of process is becoming more standard in the industry and for us, you know, it provides a more efficient treatment, um, better nutrient removal, and also accomplishes all this in a smaller footprint. So as I mentioned, we did some analysis and on, based on the life cycle cost, it was more effective to actually go forward with this new process than it was to do repairs to our current infrastructure. From the ultraviolet light disinfection um, end of it, um, this, act, this process actually uses light to disinfect rather than a liquid or a gas to, to do the disinfection. So we would be replacing something that is really um, becoming quite antiquated and actually is, it is providing a safer alternative to what we have right now. And I think it's worth noting that both of these processes are very complementary to the advanced plant that we are planning. And in fact, they will be providing what we call credits towards um, all, of, all of the regulations that we need to meet for the advanced plant. So I wanna move on just real quickly to the construction delivery methods. And back in uh, November of 2020, uh, Measure J was voted on by the public. Um, it did allow um, public works contracts to be delivered um, by alternative delivery methods. And then in December of 2021, that ordinance was implemented. And so the city now has a number of alternatives to deliver construction projects. I think the one that is probably um, most um, typical that folks are used to is design, bid, build. And you can see from the slide here, that's DBB. And the city basically has uh, two contractual relationships. It has one with the designer, and then it has one with the contractor, and that's the way the working relationships work. Um, there really is no overlap between the designer. We finish a design, then we go out to bid, and then we build it. Um, the other alternatives that were approved were CMAR, or Construction Manager at Risk. Um, this process also has a, uh, two contractual relationships, one with the designer and one with the contractor. But the difference in CMAR is that there is an actual working relationship that is agreed to 
um, between the contractor and the designer and the city. So it allows to have input of all parties. And then the third method, which I think you have heard about for a couple of projects that have come forward, is design build. And that process is basically a one, one contract. Um, the relationship is between the city and a combination of designer and contractor. And the working relationship is between those two parties. So the city has um, decided to move forward with using the CMAR construction manager at risk method for this project. Uh, we figured there were a number of advantages to the city, and they include the fact that the contractor is going to be able to be involved in the design process. Um, that helps with providing schedule certainty, and also will provide um, earlier cost certainty. So in a typical design bid build project, you would get your price after you bid your project. In this case, we will actually be developing a price much sooner. Uh, we will also be able to plan for contingencies for things that we are not as positive about or have a higher risk. Um, we will be able to um, appeal to the contractor for value engineering. And they will be able to provide their expertise to us during the design period rather than waiting until we're in construction and have finished the design. I think for us it's very important that they will be in upfront and helping to plan how we will go through the construction and transition the operation because we will be building in an operating plant. We don't shut the plant down, build something, and come back. We need to build it in the midst of our operating plant. And it also provides us the ability to um, potentially pre-purchase equipment and actually to maybe award some early work. So if there are some items that we know need to be done, we could potentially award those ahead of time to get started and get a jump on the whole schedule process. So for us, um, we decided to select CMAR versus a design build because we liked the fact that owners retain the control of the design. And we have a number of folks who have been involved in these types of projects, and we wanted their expertise to be heard. And so we felt that CMAR was a better fit for that than actually design build was. And while I will say that you know, by doing this, we do retain some of the risk by retaining the design, um, which potentially could lead to finger pointing, we do believe that the collaborative method that we've chosen um, is the best for the city. So just to kind of look at how this actually fits together, um, the designer is currently on board, as I mentioned. Um, they've finished the basis of design report and are in 30% design. They're moving forward with that and then will continue to progress the design through 60 and 90%. Um, what we're looking to do tonight is bring the contractor on in a pre-construction phase. So there will not really actually be any physical construction associated with this particular phase unless, of course, we come to authorize it. During this pre-construction phase, the contractor will be on board to help develop schedule, to work with us on the value engineering, 
and throughout the whole period, they will be putting together what we call a guaranteed maximum price. So as we are looking at the processes that we want, the materials that we want, the equipment that we want, they will be adding that into a price list for us. And the way they do that is provides a, they provide us a cost in an open book manner. So they actually show us the costs um, for the different um, pieces of equipment, materials, and labor. So once we are through with the um, pre-construction phase, which ends at about the 60% design, they will be delivering us a price. And we will negotiate on the price. If we find it acceptable, then we can move on to the construction phase. And you can see that this actually moves up schedule. So I do want to point out that there is actually an off-ramp in the um, pre-construction agreement if for some reason we cannot come to terms on the negotiated guaranteed maximum price, then we actually can um, close down the agreement and then continue the rest of the project as design, bid, build. So the selection process for this is um, much more of an RFP type of process but um, we, we do try to get into the details and understand um, the way the contractor works. Um, there are some price um, components to this actual selection process. So we did receive four proposals on April 18th. Um, there were some pass-fail criteria that um, the contractors needed to meet, and those were providing financial statements to us so that we, we were sure that they would be able to do this project. They needed to show us that they had the ability to bond for the project, and they also needed to show us that they could be insured for the project. Um, the evaluation committee was actually made up of folks from Ventura Water, Ventura Water Pure, and Public Works. And I have a list of the criteria that we used um, to rate the, the different proposals that we received. Um, the first was project team and key personnel. So we were interested on, in who was on the team, but also in how their team was structured and how they would be working together. We looked at the project team's experience and performance history, particularly in reference to this type of project. Um, we also looked at their approach to managing and um, performing services. And some of the things that we looked at in that category was, you know, how do they collaborate with folks? How do they handle safety and quality? You know, what's their method for developing the schedule? And, you know, how are they going to go about working with us on the development of the guaranteed maximum price? Um, we also got very detailed scopes of services for this phase. And um, we took a look through those to make sure that all of the things that we wanted were covered. Also, as part of this process, they did provide a fee proposal um, for the pre-construction phase, but they also actually guaranteed the percentage of overhead and profit for the project. So after reviewing these proposals, we found that PCL Construction best met our criteria. Their pre-construction fee was $1.5 million and their guaranteed construction percentage was 10.5% for both um, the prime, the subcontractor, and the major equipment. And this number was um, 
within the average range of what we received from everybody. So I'm gonna talk just a little bit about appropriations. Um, on March 22nd, um, I mentioned that we had included the project into the capital improvement plan. And November 22nd of 2022, we uh, awarded the design to Kennedy Jenks. Um, at the time we awarded the design to Kennedy Jenks, there wasn't sufficient funding to award the fiscal year 23 portion of the design contract. So we went ahead and did that. Um, our action this evening includes appropriating the fiscal year 2024 portion of the design contract and then also appropriating money for this agreement. So our total appropriation that we are asking for this evening is about $6.5 million. So our recommendations for this evening are to approve and authorize the mayor to execute the contract with um, PCL Construction and to actually authorize the public works director or their designee to amend the contract um, for a contingency of $150,000 for a total not to exceed contract of $1.65 million. Um, we're also asking for the appropriations that I just mentioned of $6.5 million. And the one note that I did want to make here is that you know, after we negotiate the GMP, the construction phase will not be awarded until it is brought back to council. So there is another step in here. And then also, if we do decide to pre-purchase equipment or do some early work, those, those will also need to be brought back to council for authorization. And so we are looking to actually um, develop the GMP and we hope to be back in um, late spring of 2024 to award the construction. And with that, I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you much. Council questions? Oh, I do have one um, on construction projects that I've had to manage in, in my career on um, design bid. And I really liked that, that you get to see who's on your team. Um, but how do you manage the risk of you get one or two key people on the team that you really have a great relationship with and then the firm takes them away and throws them, excuse me, puts them on another project? Thank you, Mayor Schrader. Um, you're, you're, are you smiling because that, that's already happened? or No, <laughs> no I'm smiling because um, as part of the uh, agreement that we have put together, which covers the pre-construction phase, but does actually cover some of the things that we will require in the construction phase, we do actually have liquidated damages for what we consider some of the key personnel. So if the, if the contractor decides to move those folks onto a different project, they will actually owe us money. I wish I would have thought about that 10 years ago in my career. That's, that's really good to know. Other questions? Yes, Mr. McReynolds? I was just curious, is the WIFIA, is that any of the money we're using here? Is it just strictly capital improvement funds from the water? No, this project actually is covered under the WIFIA loan. So we have that money in place. Correct. I have a question on slide three. So there's a, a light blue area uh, between the purple and the green. Yes. Say those words. Um, I thought you were just messing with us. I, have, I don't have my glasses on. 
It says MBR tanks, Veolia ZW500EV. Okay. Thank you. Other questions? Council, jo Council Member Johnson? Oh, I'm sorry, and then Ms. Campos. Thank you. Uh, and thank you, Ms. Dorrington, Ms. Sumansky. Uh, could you please refresh my memory, just ballpark what the, the anticipated cost of the membrane bioreactors is going to be? Sure, the total project cost that we anticipate for the project is about $143 million. Thank you, and looking at this, the design was for 12 million. That's correct. And so we're looking at a construction cost of $100 million, right? Rough and dirty, yes. Okay, so is that something if we took that off ramp that you had on that slide that Kennedy Jenks could do? Yes, we would, we would ask that, and they will complete to 100% no matter what. That's okay. part, of, part of their contract. Okay. So, it, I hope you'll correct me if I'm wrong. My, my, my gut on this is that, so we went through this process, we picked the firm that's great at this step, but we're, we're not marrying them, but we are engaged to them so that they, when it comes to this $100 million contract, um, it's almost, uh, it's not a done deal, but it's, it's, it's heading that way. And, have we had other projects of this size where we have, have looked at a $100 million contract without actually putting that $100 million contract out to bid? I, I think probably water department would be the ones to be able to answer that because you guys have the big contracts. Yeah, so this type of contract is actually new to the city. There have been two projects that have been designed, build, which would follow the same sort of process as the CMAR process does. So. Um, I would say your, your characterization is correct. We are engaged to them. Um, we do have the off-ramp. Um, we have the prenup set up. So, um, <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, when you look at this and you look at how the pricing is done, they are providing us open book, and so we are working with them hand-in-hand hand on the cost of the project. They have already guaranteed us what their profit and overhead is going to be. So there are a number of advantages that we gain because of that, but we still do have the off-ramp okay. needed. Thank you so much. Thank you, ma'am. Ms. Campos. So correct me if I'm wrong, but a membrane bioreactor is not just filtering water through the membrane and then using UV light to sterilize it. Um, there's a lot of, once it's built, there's a lot of money involved in buying the catalyst to fill the membrane. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, the process actually involves um, some biology to help um, with the process and break down um, the wastewater. So we will be using that. We will then use the membranes to kind of filter the water and take the clean water out. And, you know, there will be operating expenses associated with that. And have, have you evaluated the projected cost of that? We have. Um, the actual operating costs are probably um, about $1.3 million a year. Um, that is relative to about um, $700,000 a year. 
um, currently with the current processes that we have. And I should say that if we were to use our current processes, there are other things that we would need to do to the plant to be able to make the same sort of water quality. So those operational expenses would be higher. Thank you. Other questions? Mr. Halter. Uh, just, um, uh, I, I like this sort of arrangement. Too many times I've bid projects that I knew if I only knew this customer ahead of time, I could have saved them a lot of money. But the value in engineering is a great aspect for me. Um, the second thing, though, a question is, um, with the, what we've seen in the last year to two years with the high vol volatility of pricing, I assume that Kennedy Jinx is also keeping an eye on the market and seeing which way things are going and seeing what maybe can be purchased now versus later, or should we wait because we know the price is going to come back down? That's a wish. <laughs> so, Council Member Halter, yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. We are watching the market, and, you know, PCL has done this similar type of project recently and gathers a lot of data on, you know, pricing and watches the trends and those types of things also. Perfect. So, you know, we can make those types of decisions. Very good. Thank you. Other comments or questions? If not, Mr. City Clerk, public comments? Thank emails? you, Mr. Mayor. We do have one speaker card on item number 13, Bert Handy. Bert, you'll have three minutes. Good evening, Mayor, City Council, Ventura Water Staff, and City. A couple questions. Is a 10.5% rate set up for profit? Is that a negotiable item? Also, the other thing on the bioreactor, all these costs are basically blended together and it's showing $143 million. So what is the projected cost? Because what I have read is that the operational costs on the bioreactor is higher than the current system that Ventura is currently using in regards to what the long range costs are. So how do those costs compare to what it would cost to run the system and upgrade the current system to where it would be appropriate to use versus the cost we have with the membrane bioreactor and the long-term costs of operation? I have heard that the operation on the membrane bioreactor, the power supply or the power cost on that is much higher, plus the staffing is higher also. Those are the questions I have. Thank you. And Mr. Mayor, that concludes public comment on item 13. Uh, back to council deliberations and staff, would you care to respond to the questions? Sure, thank you, Mayor Schrader. I think we discussed some of the operational costs already. Um, we did do life cycle analysis on this project and in terms of moving forward with a rehabilitation of the, of the equipment that we already have and adding in you know, the other pieces that we would need to make the water quality um, requirements that we have, um, we found that actually on a life cycle basis, including those operational costs, that it is much more efficient for us to move on to this type of technology. Okay, thank you. Questions, City Council? I'll entertain a motion then. I move to approve staff's recommendation. I'll second it. 
to second. Any other questions, comments? Vote, please. Okay, we do have a motion and a second on the floor. You can go ahead and enter your vote now on item 13. All votes have been entered. Six ayes, one absent. The motion carries. Thank you. On to item 14. Uh, policy consideration. Councilmember McReynolds, I think you were chairman of uh, the ARC committee. I am. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Thank you, um, water staff. Nice job. Sorry, Mr. McReynolds. Oh, quite all right. So, um, so at the June 26th meeting, we brought forth, or I brought forth with uh, Councilmember Duran and Deputy Mayor uh, San Dr. Sanchez Palacios uh, in terms of how the harassment would be going uh, policy should be considered going forward um, on it. So we had an opportunity to meet twice. We met uh, July 6th, and we met uh, July whatever, 6th plus 14th, so no, 13th, sorry, uh, 13th, uh, to review that. So at the July 6th meeting, we reviewed a couple policies. We had a policy come back, kind of drafted on uh, Oakland, Carpinteria, and I'm forgetting the third one, uh, on it. We entered into some robust discussions uh, with uh, Councilmember Campos and uh, Councilmember Duran in terms of that. Uh, kind of based on that policy consideration, we decided it was a, probably a bigger operation than we necessarily considered uh, at the beginning. So what we're bringing forward tonight is a, a move forward uh, ability to review the council, com uh, council protocols in general. Uh, it's supposed to occur annually. Um, I'm envisioning because of COVID and a couple other, it just hasn't happened. So it's actually to take a broader look at all of the council policies. Uh, city Clerk uh, McDonald and uh, City Attorney Hagelin have already been uh, some initial comments on that. So essentially what we're doing tonight is requesting authorization to go in one of two directions. This is kind of the fork in the road. Is um, do we continue to have ARC working on this council protocol? It's not necessarily something within our scope. Um, I believe the committee is willing to do that, or is it something that the larger council wants to take on as a, as a ad hoc committee um, on it? The recommendation was that the mayor uh, would sit on that and then two other appointees. So really, we're kind of at the fork in the road and we're looking for direction uh, from the council in terms of how, the, if, the, if and how they would like to proceed uh, with that. And then I'm gonna ask uh, the city attorney if he has any additional comments or um, Mr. Mayor, I think you captured it well, um, summarized well what we had discussed the other night. Okay, any comments from the um, uh, from the committee, other committee members? I think that's uh, Ms. Campos and Mr. Duran, is that right? Mr. McReynolds captured everything? Okay. Any other questions from City Council? Public comments. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We do have six speaker cards submitted on item number 14. Our first speaker is George Amendola, followed by Patty Overly. Speakers will have three minutes.
Okay. Uh, hi, good evening, Council, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to basically read into the record of what my comments were during the ARC committee meeting. So it's going to be a little repetitive for some. Uh, however, tonight I would also suggest that um, with the discussion uh, from Council to staff this evening, is the first time in a very long time I've actually seen Council provide staff with clear direction. So that was greatly appreciated. My comments, uh, first I've submitted two written public comments for your review. One details my objections from the ARC meeting about what they were considering. The second was a substitute proposal for your consideration to create an independent ethics committee. With that in mind, I stand before you today to address an issue that has been a source of concern for many of our fellow citizens. It pertains to the governance approach adopted by our esteemed council, an approach that appears to prioritize bureaucratic or technocratic decision-making over the wishes of the majority of our constituents. The new trend of bureaucratic or technocratic decision-making started to reveal itself within the city of Ventura during COVID shutdowns and under the leadership of our former city managers and former interim city manager. We must never forget that the ultimate power lies with the people, the very individuals who elected you to represent their voices, aspirations, and needs. A city council that loses touch with the concerns and preferences of its constituents risks fostering a perception of an ivory tower mentality, an image of being disconnected from the realities <clears throat> and experiences of those you serve. As elected representatives, it's your duty to carefully weigh the desires and expectations of the majority when making decisions that shape our community's future. Technocratic governance doesn't automatically mean corruption, but certain factors can create a correlation between the two. Corruption can manifest in various systems, not just technocratic ones. However, specific aspects of technocratic governance can increase corruption risks if not properly managed. Here are some key considerations. Firstly, a lack of accountability can arise when technocrats hold significant decision-making power without adequate checks and balances. Insufficient transparency and oversight can create an environment conducive to corruption, allowing personal gain to override public interest. Secondly, limited public participation can undermine transparency and exclude diverse perspectives. When decisions are made without engaging the affected population erodes trust and fuels perceptions of corruption. Thirdly, the complexity of opacity and opacity of technocratic decision-making can impede public understanding and evaluation. This opacity provides opportunities for corruption by concealing questionable practices and manipulating information. Lastly, technocratic systems may be susceptible to capture by special interests favoring specific groups over the broader public good. And just in closing, I urge you to reevaluate your, your governance approach and ensure that it upholds the tenets of democracy. Thank you. Our next speaker is Patty Overly, followed by Glenn Overly. Thank you. Uh, first, I want to say thanks to the ARC committee for the meeting. It was July 17th, last Monday, Bill. Um, and especially appreciate the chair, Mr. McReynolds, allowing the public to speak after public comments had been closed. I think it was a very productive dialogue between the council members and the public. I feel like the council members really listened to the public speakers. Uh, regarding developing harass a harassment policy, 
I think it would be prudent to have an outside consultant who specializes in this work with the council on developing a policy. I don't think any of you are HR specialists or harassment specialists, so I don't think it's even fair to have council members draft such an important document. Uh, getting somebody who's an expert in the field would greatly help. Uh, and actually, during that July 17th meeting, the city attorney said that even the head of HR during the July 6th meeting had to Google the definition of harassment. One thing I want to bring up is my understanding. I know this has been a very sensitive topic, but I have a little bit of experience with harassment here in this city. Glenn and I were subject to some very derogatory remarks by a member of the Community Development Department during the Haley Point Planning Commission meeting back in July of 2021. We never received an apology from the city council. One council member called us. That was council member Johnson. He personally apologized. None of the other council members, Joe, Doug and Jeanette were on that committee, on that council. The city manager didn't call and apologize. The employee's boss didn't call and apologize. The employee did not apologize, and that employee still works here. And those remarks were made public in a public records request and were in the Ventura Star, our names. So I understand harassment here in this city, and I do know what it feels like to feel like no one's doing anything about it. So I do hope you will take this serious and not rush through it and do the right thing and hire a professional to draft this very important document. Thank you. Our next speaker is Glenn Overly, followed by Mark Sirota. Patty and I normally don't share what we're going to say with each other, and as usual, she took most of my words. And I don't want to take up too much more council's time. I would like to say one thing. Um, last council, I was present during a FAB meeting when FAB was talking about the audit. And at that time, the, the chair of that particular committee tried to dumb down or limit the audit. And it was because the other two council members that that didn't happen. But in spite of that, the city still did an internal audit before the audit company we hired did their audit. And I don't want to see that happen for this. This is so important to make sure that staff is protected and also council. And the way that's going to happen is to have an independent company, a consultant that specializes in this, do it. And when you have so many conflicting ideas on what harassment is and what the policy is, we can't get anywhere. An outside person has to do this. Secondarily, so within the code of conduct for council members, that is self-policing. What you're trying to do with this harassment policy is give it some teeth. And I don't think it belongs there. I think it belongs in the city charter. 
Much like if you read section 709, it's pretty clear that this council hires two people, city attorney, the city manager, and all the staff members that come here in the well are not your employees. You're supposed to give direction through the city manager. And I think probably that's why we're where we're at right now. And we should really hold to our charter. And everything should go through the city manager who's responsible for the staff members. Now, I don't think that the city manager does himself any good by telling council members, yeah, you can talk to staff on this or that. I think we should hold strong to the city charter. But I think if you're gonna put a harassment policy in place, please include it in the city charter. I know on, I believe, July 10th, that was item number 16 that was scheduled to be heard, but the meeting ran long, obviously, so it didn't get heard. But please make that a consideration for the update to the charter, which is coming before you sometime soon, I'm sure. Last thing is I would also like to compliment that our committee on their interaction with the citizens. Small committees like that should be able to do that, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Mark Sirota, followed by Todd Collard. Uh, good, good evening. Um, let me start off saying and echoing uh, both Patty's and uh, Glenn's uh, comments on the meeting and the uh, the ARC meeting on the 17th. I really did appreciate the dialogue that we were able to have, and I thought it was excellent and uh, that, that we were listened to, and it mattered, and it was uh, very refresh, refreshing. Um, I agree with ARC's recommendation that the council protocols should be comprehensive, comprehensively updated, not piecemeal. I think that's the way to go. Uh, I'm aware that Matt Bellows uh, provided an excellent argument written, and he may talk later that stands on its own on why outside consultants should be used as part of this process, and I agree with that as well. I'd like to make a second argument that results in the same conclusion. Um, I want to make sure that the community, uh, city council understands how this whole process looks from the perspective of, of the public. In other words, the optics. Let me start with the June 5th special meeting to discuss the censure of Councilman Johnson. You likely remember that censuring council, uh, John, Councilman Johnson was not very popular. In fact, it was extremely unpopular. There must have been 50 or 60 community members from all parts of the city and beyond that spoke against the proposed resolution. I do appreciate the city council did tone down the resolution to an admonishment. Then the art committee posted a notice on July 12th at the last minute for a meeting on July 13th to discuss issues related to the city council members harassing staff and punishments. Presumably, that was a catalyst that the, the fifth meeting uh, dealing with uh, Councilman Johnson came, came about because of that. Due to insufficient posting, that meeting was moved to the 17th. Then we found out that there was a meeting on the 6th, not that, that we, we, we should have known about it. There was no problem. That wasn't it. But the audio, for, you know, for reasons, didn't work properly, so we couldn't listen to that afterwards. We then found out that the uh, amendments were made on the written amendments for the meeting uh, 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 um, on the, the date of the ARC meeting on the uh, 17th were made on a version of the protocols which was uh, an older version and it happens that this version did not include the language that appearance alone can result in a conflict of interest. Very important thing. Let me start right there. I don't believe any of this was nefarious. Okay, I'm not trying to point fingers or anything, but I just want everybody to understand if you're on the public 
and you see all of these steps, one along the way, it, it's just public, it, the, the, what happens is people think the worst, okay? That's just the way it is. A lot of things that have happened, okay? So I don't, I'm not trying to point fingers, I'm not saying anything nefarious happened. Then we get to the actual proposed changes, and I think those had many shortcomings. Uh, and this was a change just for the ethics portion. Um, I'm going to run out of time here. So all this together, I think a combination of honest mistakes, and I think, in my opinion, the best way to repair this relationship is to have an expert outside consultant lead the effort to update the city protocols with transparency and, and uh, public involvement. Thank you. Todd Collert, followed by our last speaker, Matt Bellow. Good evening, Council. Um, I've had a lot of complaints or criticisms of the existing protocols, so I'm happy that changes are being made and reviews are occurring. Particularly like the idea of having a small working committee that entertains the input from the city, as the prior speakers mentioned. I was out of town, so I could not attend, but otherwise probably would have participated. And I think that process should go forward, as you're recommending, until perhaps January, so you'd have ample time to take input and study all the various considerations facing you. Mike, primary concern, though, is that this whole issue, I guess, stemmed from a complaint of what's probably hostile work environment, and that came from a staff member. It's relatively unknown to the staff, excuse me, to the public about all the details, but that seems to be the origin of it. And yet the focus initially was go look at that in light of the city council protocols, which seemed to be in a whole different direction. Now that you're looking at the protocols, they need to be cleaned up on their own, but I think they need to have the city look at the totality of a hostile work environment, however that's defined, uh, in complaints between council, between staff members, for example. This, the protocols is between city council and staff. But unless you reconcile the totality of harassment to staff or other parties that need to be protected, you're missing the point, I think, as other speakers have noted. This needs to be a broad view taken of the issue and not just looking at it through the lens of the protocol. They have their own purpose now to be adhered to and improved upon, but to have everything focused on the protocols as a way to address a hostile work environment through another channel that came up, the normal public, uh, excuse me, human resources approach, I think misses, it's, misses the mark, and you better cover all the bases, and I think that's probably best done with experts, attorneys who are adept at case law, an existing law on hostile work environments, what harassment constitutes, and so forth, so that you're reconciling what might be part of the protocols in addition to other standards that may be included in the charter or other aspects of city rules that need to cover, again, harassment in the broadest sense. So I hope you move forward constructively and do it, whatever committee form, whether it's ARC or a different uh, working committee, but involve the public as you have been. It seems to have been appreciated by those who attended the meeting. Thank you. Matt Bellow, followed by one more final speaker, Trevor Gotsman. Are we ready? Yeah, okay. Uh, good evening, Council. It's uh, great to see everyone. Um, I would like to thank the council members uh, for a thoughtful and democratic discussion at the ARC committee last Monday. Uh, thank you. Uh, during that meeting, I shared my concern about the lack of a third party presence in the development of the harassment censure protocol. 
Uh, I know there was stated interest in hiring a third-party consultant during that meeting, but a motion was not made on this. Uh, due to my concerns, I decided to further detail my reasons on why I think a third-party consultant is needed in a detailed email sent to you last Thursday. As I did mention in my email, while I do agree with City Attorney Heglin that all future complaints will need uh, to be delegated to an outside independent and third-party investigator because human resources, the city attorney, and the council cannot be fair and objective in, in investigations, I find it ironic that he is essentially saying that the same entities uh, that lost my place one sec. Uh, I, I find it ironic that he's saying uh, he's essentially saying that the same entities that he reasonably deems unworthy to fairly interpret the policies in an objective manner are somehow worthy of drafting the actual policy objectively without public, outside, uh, independent, and, and a third-party consultant. Um, I hope that you'll require the city to hire an outside, independent, uh, third-party uh, consultant that will provide a public report coupled with public hearings with the ARC Committee um, and uh, eventually to Council to ensure that not only a, a harassment uh, policy but a more broad and objective center policy is developed. Thank you for your time. And our final speaker is Trevor Gotsman. Trevor, you should be able to unmute yourself. Good evening, Honorable Mayor, City Council, community members and staff. I have to commend Mr. Overly for sharing what he shared this evening and I do urge you to really do this right. Um, and if it needs to be put in the constitution, then do it. And you know, we, we all need a good dose of respect and uh, be given and returned. And you know, so I really wanted to just point, add my voice to this conversation, just to encourage you to listen to those speakers, the public speakers that have just spoken. All of them have extremely valid points and I think this needs to be done right. And at the same time, I'm also very interested in going forward when, how are we going to, this, the, this council is going on a training session that I feel the whole community needs to be apprised of. And I would like to see those sessions either uh, um, where public can enroll in them or at least after the fact see and learn from them and that we can all share this in a transparent manner and know that how to why things are the way they are and um, learn to appreciate what we have and what we each have to offer because we all have different styles and we all can take things out of context and so that's what I want to say tonight, and I'd like to speak again after public comments, but I'd really urge you to listen to those public speakers that have spoken on item 14 tonight. Thank you. That concludes public comment on item number 14. Thank you to all the speakers. Um, council deliberation, I'm going to need a motion, but uh, further discussion? Mr. Johnson? Thank you. First, I just want to share with my colleagues, uh, you know, I, I share some responsibility for the fact that we are, have gotten off track on updating the protocols. Um, my experience in the past has been, starting with my first goal setting meeting, the goal setting meeting included some protocol changes. And to have a goal setting meeting and protocol changes meant that 
we did not spend a lot of time talking about the protocols. And we still deal with this problem today because we pass some protocols that are vague. People have different ideas about what they mean. They're, they're not uh, always enforced. There doesn't seem to be a pattern to where they're enforced. This is, this is about the timer. And then we went through a whole thing, we went through a whole year where we weren't sure, do we stop the timer when staff is answering questions? Um, we've had questions about, well, you know, you get five minutes, but then you're supposed to get 10 minutes after, you know. Um, and so I have said, since that experience, that, that we should, as a council, look at our goals separate from our protocols, that they each deserve their own time and space. And so when we went to our goal setting meeting, that was the plan, that we would put off the, the protocols and then maybe have, have a workshop. I will say, Mr. Hayden will back me up this week. We have, we have spent hours talking about protocols, what we have now, where there's some vagaries in the language, uh, where there's been misinterpretations. Um, I brought up the timer thing. Uh, our protocols operate on the assumption that we do questioning in rounds, which we, which we do not do. Um, and then we have this whole separate issue with our protocols with timing of the public. Uh, we were mistaken when we limited members to fewer than three minutes on agenda items. And we still then had a, that issue happen in our, in our other bodies, which are required to follow council protocols. And I appreciate that other bodies are, are allowed to have their own protocols, but those have to be approved by council as well. So there are a whole number of issues existing with our protocols. Um, I just wanted to make sure everybody understood that, you know, if we're going to talk about protocols, um, th that all those things need to be looked at. Uh, I, I shouldn't have to spend 40 minutes talking to the city attorney you know, I, I had to do a textual deep dive into the history of the protocols to get to this, you know, members of the public shall have up to three minutes to speak. But I had to go back and read protocols going back to the 1980s to find where the language got changed kind of inadvertently and made a little more vague. Um, so any discussion about the protocols, I think it's important uh, to bear in mind that, that we need to, as a council, really devote some time to making sure that the protocols reflect practice and the practice reflects protocol. Because we are doing a much, much, much better job. And I commend you, Mayor, and I commend my colleagues. Um, we are doing, for example, a much better job on separating questions and comments. But we, we still need to improve. We still need to get do that better. Um, those are my only comments on this tonight. And I appreciate the opportunity to share my thoughts with my colleagues. Thank you. So I'll, I'll try a motion, uh, but I do have a question for uh, the city attorney. Um, there has been some question concerning ARC's ability to even look at this, uh, that ARC's role is defined very specifically, and that if ARC was to be the committee assigned to this, that this exceeds their authority. So just so definitively, I want to understand, is this something that ARC can look at, or does it need to be an ad hoc committee? Um, Mr. Mayor, Councilmember McReynolds, the, you're correct. The, the uh, municipal code does establish the appointments recommendation committee, uh, and it says that it shall make recommendations to the council 
uh, in regard to appointments to all of the boards, commissions, and committees provided for uh, by the or provided for by the municipal code. It, it, so it, is, it sets that um, uh, that assignment to the ARC. It doesn't say that the ARC can't hear anything else. And if the city council were to task the ARC committee with another uh, another um, um, another task. It would be allowed under the municipal code. It couldn't send the ARC duties to another board under the municipal code. Thank you. Mr. Duran and then Mr. Johnson. Yeah, I have a question for you in regards to the protocols. Those are supposed to be updated every year, correct? And who normally does those? Who, who normally does the, update, the updates of the protocol? Mr. City Attorney. I can't say who normally does it. I know the beginning of the protocols has a long list of resolutions that have amended it over time. I don't recall, and maybe Councilmember Johnson knows, if the council had made a specific uh, review every year. Um, it, if you don't mind, if you want to answer that question for me, I have more to say, but if, if you don't mind answering that, it'd be great. No, not at all. Uh, council, this has been part of goal setting for, for a very long time. The annual goal setting meeting was also the annual protocol meeting. But it, certainly there were times uh, outside of that when the protocols were amended. Uh, I think if you go back and look at the long list of dates, you'll see some that were not attached to goal setting meetings. Um, the, the timer one actually was, was uh, I think maybe not fully done at, at our goal setting meeting, as I remember, and it came back to us. Um, it was floated at the at the goal setting meeting, but then came back to us as a, as a separate thing. But it has almost always been. I, it, I've been to a lot of goal setting meetings with discussions about protocols, um, but generally, it's it's a very limited discussion of the protocols. So you're saying, if you if you don't mind me asking you again, Council Member Johnson, so you're saying the protocols come back to City Council. We have a, a discussion on those, and we make those changes, correct? Yeah. So so. For example, if you were to look at an agenda for an earlier goal setting meeting two years ago or a year ago, uh, before discussing the goals, there would be a discussion of the protocols. And typically what that would mean would, would be some people would come, it would be the city clerk, the city manager, the city attorney, and any council members with any ideas for revisions to protocols. Uh, I will say that uh, it's, it's been very difficult, it was very difficult at some goal setting meetings because that discussion lasted a long time and then you rushed through the goals. And we saw that, I'd say, the, our first year that, that we were on there, that, that we spent an hour and a half or two hours on protocols and, and an hour on, on the goals. Um, but so you have that discussion and then you would direct staff to come back with the actual language mm -hmm. and then it would come back uh, as a formal agenda item because it's a protocol issue, not an ordinance. It doesn't require a second reading, mm -hmm. but you need to make sure that uh, all the language is correct. Thank you for that clarification. And with that, I would, um, there's a couple things. Number one, I think, I think we should have a, a meeting set aside specifically to review protocols. I think we all should have a voice in this. I think we should all talk about this. I mean. I think you guys were, um, excuse me, Mr. Heglin, you were working on this in your office and then you were gonna present to us at a later date or something like that, which, which I mean, if you wanna bring those recommendations to a meeting that we all have together, a public meeting where we discuss that, I, I would like to move forward with, with that, um, number one. And number two, um, 
you know, I, I believe harassment is, is a big deal. And, I'm, and I, th I think we all agree that we don't want anybody to feel harassed. I, I, we all agree on that. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, like defining harassment, getting, I think an outside consulting firm would be a great idea. I think I, I'm, I'm hearing this and I think they should do that. An outside consultant firm should put a harassment policy together. I mean, because honestly, like, we, we need to be very clear on what's going on. I, I want to tell you that I understand how the overlease feel being in the newspaper. Um, I, I, I get it. I've been in the newspaper for things that weren't true. Uh, harassment, yeah, maybe. Um, but I felt it tonight. I felt when, um, no, no disrespect at all, Mr. Overly, but when you came up and made, you made statements about me that you believed were true and they were not true, and yet that's in public comment, you know, that's, that's a harassment. It, it's, it wasn't true, and you could have checked, and you could have called me, and I could have clarified it. But, you know, so, yeah, I believe this is a really important thing, and maybe an outside firm needs to do this. So I would make a motion, number one, for us to set up a meeting so we can go over protocols as a, as a council, and the second part of that motion would be to get an outside firm to develop a harassment policy for us. Do we have a second on the motion? I, can I make a friendly amendment? Absolutely. So, so my recommendation would be that if the council is willing to consider ARC as the assigning committee, that uh, City Attorney Hagelin and City Clerk McDonald have been working on some corrections, that they be brought to ARC, and that we come back for the meeting that Councilmember Duran is speaking about that first meeting in November. So that gives us a couple, the committee a couple months to take a look at those, bring forward some recommendations in terms of the general cleanup items that have already in process. And then we can also bring forward a discussion regarding the harassment policy at that time, or the, should it be an outside consultant? Like, let's, let's find the, where do we need, you know, consulting with our, our experts where do we bring in that third party, you know, specifically? So it might be harassment, but it could be a couple other, you know, areas that we might need some additional assistance in. So we bring that forward at the November, first meeting in November. We go back to work again, and so that when we come back to goal setting in January would be our typical... Yes. ...that we bring yes. forward the full policy, the full recommendation to be adopted at the, the, the goal setting meeting which would be the comprehensive item. So that it would be a kind of a two-step process. November, we'd make a recommendation based on all the work that's been done to date. And then if we're gonna hire a consultant, that would come on at that time. And then the goal would be to wrap that up <clears throat> so that at the January goal setting meeting or when that occurred, um, the full policy would be readopted by this council. Mr. Duran, are you willing to accept that very brief, uh, friendly amendment? That was super friendly. <laughs> that was super friendly, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I am. Um, I, I would make a point, uh, and then I'll go to Mr. Halter. Well, I, I agree with the direction that we're going in. I would like to give, and I'm not sure this was stated in the friendly amendment, I'd like to give the latitude um, to ARC to make a decision when they need to go. For instance, on harassment, 
they need to go literally to a law firm that specializes in that uh, would, would be, it seems like that would probably be the right place to go. Um, and I'd like to give them that ability now instead of waiting till November to do that. But, or, di or did I miss that? Or am I? I think that's a very specialized part of it. My, my goal is to, if there's some other areas that we need so that we would bring forward that entire request at that first meeting in November um, on it. I actually don't think the harassment policy, if we had a third party, would be that difficult to draft. I, I, I would like to think that that exists somewhere, you know, that we can uh, just take out the word city of Lompoc and drop in the city of, you know, Ventura. Uh, in it, uh, but th that they've already drafted that, that that firm has already created that policy. You know, uh, I'm not. Maybe it hasn't, and maybe it's going to take us a little bit longer. But I'm hoping that it exists in some near acceptable form somewhere. Okay. Mr. Halter. Yes, great. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I just want to say that I uh, agree with the motion, and um, I just wanted to point out though a couple of things is that the protocol. You know, we've gone through some very interesting times because if you remember right not for any excuse or anything, but just so you know, when we started the first 16 months of our tenure on the council was on Zoom. You really can't develop relationships on Zoom. Uh, that's a really tough environment to be on. Not to mention, even though I've been, on, been honored and humbled to be on many different boards in my lifetime, this is a little different. It's a little different. Protocols are really accumulation of years and years of how uh, this council's um, reacts and, and re relates to each other and communicates. And there's some things that have never been addressed. For what reason, I don't know, but they hadn't. And so part of it is that the world's dynamic. Things change constantly. Some things become bigger issues at a certain point in time. And so I just want to point out that um, I just remember that first year on council was very, very difficult to figure out what protocols were really adhered to and which protocols <laughs> were just kind of suggestions, okay? So I would agree with what uh, Council Mayor uh, uh, Duran said and what Council Member uh, McDonald said, or McReynolds, sorry, um, uh, with this motion. And I think that I, I can't see the harassment um, portion being that difficult to draft. I mean, I think it's more of a personnel lawyer or human resource lawyer that would tell us what that really means. Everyone has our version of what that is and what we think it is. Um, but just getting more familiar, uh, this council has, I feel, really interacted uh, in a much easier and more productive way because it's been controlled. It's been controlled. Um, we have followed the protocols that have taken years to put together. Uh, so. Um, anyways, I just want to say those few things and just say I will support the motion. Ms. Campos. So I may seem like the odd man out on ARC, but um, I agree with our mayor that it may be better to just take this piece of the protocols directly to an expert in what harassment means and what the interrelationships in government do with harassment and those policies, um, because there were there were several protocols from other locations than what 
Councilmember McReynolds mentioned that we're very different. And so I, I would like us to, maybe we can work on all the protocols, but I think this piece is really critical to get right. We already learned that on June 5th. And I don't know that we can get through crafting it after two meetings. So I will not be able to support that motion. Mr. Mayor? Yes, Mr. Durant. Uh, agreement. I, I think um, we need to go ahead and get the outside firm immediately to work on this harassment piece. We, we, don't, we don't need to do that. They could figure that out. And then we can work on the protocols as we, as we move forward. That, that would be my motion. Do I have a second on that? Second that. Second that. Discussion on the motion? I have a point of clarification, if I may, uh, Mr. Mayor. On the substitute motion, uh, is that still sending those proposed changes to ARC as it was originally noted, or is this a all-council full public meeting that would discuss those changes initially? The ARC, right? The, yeah, it would be the ARC first. So the idea is, is that the proposed changes that the city attorney and I have already been previously working on would be presented to ARC Correct. and then brought back to council? Correct. November. And are we sticking with the November timeline? Yes. Just wanted to throw out there on a non-election year, generally goal setting is in December, so the second week of December. So just to throw that into uh, the, the, the scheduling scheme there. And so my understanding then is that the uh, proposed changes that the city attorney and I have been working on would be presented to ARC and be brought back to council by the first meeting in November. And then in your new motion to uh, direct staff to work with a, an outside consultant in the development of a harassment policy for council. That's correct. Thank you. Further discussion? Yes, Mr. McReynolds. I just, from the clerk and the city attorneys, is that a doable time frame or? I think it depends on, I mean, just to clarify, what uh, the clerk and I have done was just, um, I guess, proactively recognize that there were some, some confusing things in the protocols. Mr. Or Councilmember Johnson identified some of those. We were trying to try to come up with some language in advance of bringing those to council that you guys could work with as you kind of developed it. So I, I think we're probably halfway through uh, what, what we had kind of come up with as proposals. Um, so if, if we're being asked to come back by the 1st of November, or, or I think you were saying that you wanted this to come to ARC before the 1st of November, correct? Yeah, it would go to ARC, you know, theoretically we would have August, September, October to... Yeah, I think that's be, doable. You know, and then the, the full, and then ARC would make a recommendation in September, no, I'm sorry, October, and then in November the full council would then decide how they would like to proceed. And I can start to work on firing a, finding a law firm that I could propose to the ARC as far as someone who could do the, the harassment piece of it. Okay, other questions? Vote, please. Okay, on item number 14, you can go ahead and enter your vote now on the substitute motion. We're waiting for one more vote to be entered. All votes have been entered. Uh, 
it looks like we're waiting for one more. Now all votes have been entered. Six ayes, and the motion carries. Thank you much for that. Thanks for working together, gang. On to public communications. In compliance with the Brown Act, City Council may not discuss, deliberate, or vote on any matter raised in public communications. If you would like to make public comment, all speaker cards should be submitted at this time. Mr. City Clerk, do we have any comments? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. We have four speaker cards this evening. Our first speaker is going to be Fred Elwood. Fred will be followed by Bert Handy, and speakers will have three minutes. Mr. Elwood, you can go ahead and uh, step up to the dais, or podium, excuse me. Ready to go? Ready whenever you are, and you'll notice a okay. timer on your screen there as well that indicates the time. First of all, I reported, I, I'm here to talk about the intersection of Crawley Avenue and Hill Road. There's a traffic circle. I first brought this up to Mayor Carl Morehouse in 2006. I met with your city traffic engineer this morning and gave him this. Now, I'll give you, if you want to make a copy, I'll learn from Mr. Morehouse, copy of what I showed your city engineer this morning. You're welcome to do so. Okay, I'm going to read through these, because what I'm telling you could take me an hour to give you a real presentation. I only have three minutes to speak to you. My name is Fred Elwood, a registered professional engineer in Michigan, Ohio, in the state of Florida. I worked here for the Port, Port Renimi for the Department of Defense for several years. My experience includes investigation traffic, traffic accidents and resulted in personal injuries and so on at intersections like this. And I've, I have personally uh, uh, testified in court many times on different traffic accidents and what happened and reasons and corrections that needed to be made. The existing roundabout at this intersection of Hill Road and Crowley Avenue is deficient for many reasons, which I pointed out to the city over time, several times. I've, I've talked to this, the department, police department, I've sent letters to the city attorney and so on, but in the way back, going to go way back. The small island is not sufficient to cause vehicles to slow down to go around that corner, that island. That's the whole purpose of that island, is to have a, the traffic has to slow down. You don't slow down at all. Another problem is the hill road is a quite a steep grade. The vehicles come down hill road, they don't slow down whatsoever. Zoom right through that, because there's nothing there to stop them. The city has put up some of those plastic stakes Cars drive right over them like they're not even there. I lived at that corner since uh, 1986 when we bought a house. Got 23 seconds to go. It should be, I've talked to engineers outside of the city and said it should be a 100 foot diameter circle. It's 20 feet. I talked to the city engineer this morning and I showed him all of this data and he couldn't refute one single thing. I said, I came here for you to show me 
what the standards are you go by for that kind of an intersection. He could not give me anything. He says, give me your email address and I'll look it up and send it to you. I, he did sent me nothing today. I was home all afternoon, nothing. No, I looked on it to, to, to find out what the standards are for that sort of thing on the internet. Zero. I could find nothing. Thank you, Mr. Elwood. That concludes your time. Now, you can, if you want to make copies of this letter, I, every, everything here for everybody to read, I'd be glad to give it to you. I'd be glad to give you the, this to make a copy of this. You, you can take that. Make copies for everybody. And I'll, if you want to make copies of this Moreland letter, you're welcome to, but I want this letter back. <laughs> if you Thank can you. do that, I'd be glad to give it to you. I'm not able to make a copy at this moment. Uh, however, I'd be happy to make a copy and return it to you. Thank you much for... How can you make a copy? I will do it before the end of the meeting. Okay. Can't a couple All right. Minutes. Thank you very much. Thank if you, you have any Snow. questions, I'd be glad to answer your questions. Uh, I didn't you. get a chance. The time is so short. I'd be glad to meet with the city... Why am I meeting with the city council? Okay. Because the legal liability... This Thank you, Mr. Elmer. Yes. Yes. If somebody's a fatal accident... Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is Bert Handy. Could you bring up that? Uh, Followed by Glenn Overly. That uh, information. Okay. The reason I came up is the information I sent earlier wasn't picked up by the council when I was talking to you. And the issue was, is there the ability to have one location to put all the solar panels in? That was not addressed, and I talked to Mr. Nelson afterwards, and he says they did not investigate that potential. So, and I was trying to understand why or they could or couldn't do it. I asked him about electricity use in the city of Ventura, and he said basically the three areas that we're looking at, City Hall, Police Department, and the community park, all pay the same rate. So basically what ends up happening with solar is if you exceed what you need, it becomes net metering. Net metering means it returns to the system. In this case, what ends up happening? Number uh, three, I believe, clerk. Um, in this case, if you look at, keep going down, one well, right there, back one. If you look at that area right there, with this community park, you can see where the parking lot is. Those are all new trees. They could actually put the full system right there and move those trees into the park, which would not entail having a one to 10, because they're young trees. So that would increase the amount of solar that they could put on there, in my opinion. And it would also be more cost effective to do it that way. I believe that should be something that the city council should suggest. I talked to Ms. Ivers and Mr. Nelson. They said they'd bring it up in a meeting, but I felt it was important to bring it up to the staff here and also the council to make sure that it was addressed because I believe due to the ability of having much more sunlight out there than you do with those other locations. Plus it has the ability to move the trees within the city park right there at the location, and it would be very easy to do. I believe that should be investigated and look at it for the benefit of all. Thank you. 
Our next speaker is Glenn Overly. Glenn Overly will be followed by our final speaker, Trevor Gotsman. I normally don't talk this much in one night unless somebody seated me time. This is unusual. First off, I think the information you may be looking for might have already been done by the League of Cities. I think they've already done some legwork on that very topic that you're looking for. Secondarily, Council Member Duran, I have super thick skin, and I would apologize to you other than I'm right, and I'm going to go ahead and email you that link. Number four here, Brown Act. Brown Act affords citizens the opportunity to participate in meetings like this one here. And I want to applaud our city for giving additional notice on normal agendized items. I think we're up to like seven days now. So that's why I'm troubled a little bit by the standing committees using every meeting they have as a special meeting because they don't have a calendar and then trying to go to the 24-hour notice. That wasn't the intention of the Brown Act. And your protocols tell you 48, so please hold to the 48 or even more. It doesn't hurt. Give citizens the opportunity to come there, share with council their thoughts. Now the most important part, X Games. Uh, I had two of my 11 grandchildren with me, a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old. We had a fantastic time, other than we stood a lot, but that's not the city's problem. I want to commend the city for making an opportunity for businesses to make money. But moreover, I want to say that the police department um, did an outstanding job. The traffic flow was, whoever put that together, incredible. I would like to share with you where I actually parked, but I'm going to save it for next year because I don't want anybody to use it. We, we were able to walk about a mile in a little less than 15 minutes, super tolerable. Uh, on one day, I had Patty actually drop us off just in front. We probably had an eighth of a mile. For the city, I would say the bicycle uh, locker, excellent idea. It needs to be bigger. If we're thinking green and we want people to use bicycles, make that thing as big as you can because we know how much bicycles are being stolen. The skateboard valet, excellent idea. Um, and any of my other comments, I'd be happy to share. But the city, I would give a 9 out of 10. And I just think there's always room for improvement, but the traffic he got down and paying all the overtime was well worth it to make that a successful event. Thank you. And our final speaker this evening is Trevor Gotsman. Trevor, you should be able to unmute yourself. Good evening, everybody, again. Thank you, and thank you, Mr. Overly. Um, yes, the city has done a fantastic job, and I also commend the staff for going out of their way. The last time I was in the office, it was after 4 o'clock when we, I still had many questions, and code um, and permitting services were willing to stay and take care of the business. But I feel still there's a lot of discrimination because we've got so many codes and rules and regulations and not all of them are being in fact very few of them are being monitored 
and it's only on an exception basis. And this is where I, I'm coming from. I feel if we've got a rule and a code, let's, infor, let's make sure everybody's aware of it and why it's there and, um, and or change it. And this is where I feel there are a lot of codes. One of the codes that I questioned was a front fence of 42 inches in height. And I had a temporary fencing that was well over that 72 inches. And I, of course, it was temporary, so it was very easy to remove. And, but I walked up my block and I said, half the houses here have fences that are out of code. How come I'm the one who's discriminated against? And Mr. Overly may have a thick skin and, uh, you know, we all develop as we go along. Sometimes our thick skin gets thinner, sometimes it gets thicker. Uh, sometimes we just have the same great separation between the head and the heart. Um, but, um, you know, offence is not something we feel very strongly or we understand very clearly in that regard. But I've, I'm coming back to the code and the list of codes and the, the rules and regulations. I feel as the protocols need to be addressed, all of these rules and regulations also need to be addressed. And use the staff, use the community, have temporary jobs where we can all discuss these things and see if it's not following the spirit of the law, we should know what the spirit of the law is. 42 inches is probably something so that um, we know what's going on some way, so you're not hiding behind, you know, an eight-foot fence in the front. But, so this is really what I'm asking, that we all, once again, work together, figure out, simplify it, simplify it so that we know that our codes are not so convoluted and we can all follow and adhere to them. And, you know, it comes back to the respect and um, the responsibility we all have to do what the best we are capable of doing. But as at the skate park, you know, they, that check on your mates was the one slogan that came out of that. And I say, if you can't love it, leave it. But anything you leave, you've got to check on it constantly. So let's do it. Thank you very much. Have a good night, everybody. That concludes our public comment. Mr. City Manager, any comments on that? No. <laughs> Thank you. I will uh, adjourn the meeting in uh, honor of Sandy Smith, a great citizen for the city of Ventura. <laughs>